Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I'm still... The aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, Everything School HQ. Also here down there in Tequila, Georgia, my good friend, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, Matt Green is here. Matt, good evening, sir. How are you? Good evening, sir. It is a uh, it is a good weekend uh, down here in the good state of Georgia after uh, after what happened on Saturday on Saturday early evening. Uh, I guess you should call it, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, so I'm feeling good right now. I'm glad. I mean, you should be feeling good. I mean, it's a, it was a good weekend for the dogs. Um, it was not a good weekend for the walls, uh, as I was in the building, uh, for, uh, Tennessee, Georgia, uh, over the weekend. And I'll never forget that first play. That first play was something, uh, <laughs> that I'll remember for the rest of my life, Matt Green, <laughs> It's unfortunate uh, I don't recall what all happened after that, but uh, Jalen Wright running for 80 uh, right out of the gate here uh, was was pretty special and pretty special to all of us, and that that kept us uh, kept us moving throughout the weekend, sir. I'm glad you did. I it was funny because I said uh, the same thing to my uh, my Florida buddy uh, when we went to that game together. Not even talking shit or anything, but just like I am glad you got that early moment to root for and like feel like your team was gonna win you know but um we've seen so many georgia games start this way the fifth game in a row actually where team scored on their opening possession uh scored a touchdown i believe on their opening possession um and you know and georgia wasn't able to just respond completely like they only got a field goal after that just similar to the florida game so tennessee was definitely feeling good there but then Everything after that was just uh, just pretty much domination on Georgia's uh, part. Yeah, no, it was domination. I mean, do you just want to do you just want to get into Tennessee, Georgia now? Do we want to start out of the gate here, Matt Green, just making me sad on this Sunday <laughs> night? Do we want to just go down the rabbit hole and uh, go piece by piece of why uh, it's a pretty demoralizing uh, 
time uh, in Knoxville uh, for myself on Saturday afternoon because, like, I'm in the building and, you know, we're feeling okay coming in. Like, I just, the line's like nine and a half, ten. Auburn played them well at home. Vanderbilt actually covered against Georgia at home. You're just like, look, I don't think we're going to win this game, but it's nice to know that it's a possibility. You don't don't think they're going to win? You picked them on the pod. I'm not picking against Tennessee against Georgia. I'm going to do it every year. I don't care. Like, I'm going to do that no matter what. Like, I was going in because, like, look, man, I didn't feel it. I never felt it. It was what? one of those situations where it you, you just, just saying and, things. It was no, it was like the last little bit where you're like the thing about Tennessee and that I will not miss about this year. And I think it's been the most frustrating part for uh, most Tennessee fans is like we've seen the best version of them and the best version is the first half against Alabama where you're matched up, you go on the road and you're up 20 to seven at the half. Like you're just taking it too. You could have been up more. You left points on, on the board in the red zone. Like you really should have been up honestly three touchdowns uh, in the first half against Alabama. You obviously get shut out 28, nothing in the second half. It doesn't go your way, but that's an, <laughs> that's a big feat to go into Tuscaloosa and kind of dominate Alabama in a way they hadn't, I mean, for the rest of this year outside of USF, the powerhouse that is USF and Tampa Bay. I mean, that was one of the more agonizing parts of this season. That's really done. Tennessee's like a 25-point favorite against Vandy at home. They'll kill him on Saturday and then play in the Gator Bowl against Northwestern and or, or Rutgers, and that'll be it uh, for the year. But <laughs> we're does just sound like a bowl game they're going to be in. Well, I mean, that's it. If you look at the yes, bowl Rilla projections... Bowl. Like, we're basically Kentucky. If they don't beat Louisville, it looks like Tennessee is now, like, locked into the Gator Bowl is what it looks okay. like. Um, so, if that's the case. I honestly haven't even looked at any of the bowl projection stuff. Well, you don't really have to worry about it. You'll probably be in the playoff record. <laughs> um, it's for us tier three kids and uh, in the SEC. But I think just to see that version of it and then at home where you haven't lost a home game in two years – to just struggle that much to just see how <laughs> easy it was for Georgia to just do whatever they wanted on third down. I mean, there's so many things I want to touch on with why this game was was tough. But, I mean, I was in the building. I saw, and I, I like sitting in the ends. I don't know where your preferred seats are for college football games. But for me, I like the all-22 aspect of it. So I usually... Uh, prefer to be somewhere in the end zone on that level, lower level to yeah, see. Our, our, our Missouri seats were like kind of the top of the of the lower level and kind of the corner of the end zone, and it really was a. I really liked that like vantage point of the of watching a game. It's a lot better, I think, than being on the side. I don't want to be. The, I've been at the fifty where we were for Florida last year, and I've seen the end zone. Give me the end zone every time because I can see more. I can see what they're doing. I can see who's getting home. I can see the offensive line's doing. I can see how wide uh, uh, receivers are getting up. It's just a better vantage point to really see how things are going. On the flip side, when Joe Millinger quarterback, to see how that's working in the end zone and to see what he's seeing and just struggle the way that he was um, throughout. I mean, that was his worst game as a Tennessee volunteer. Um you didn't see it in the turnovers. You just saw it and just couldn't throw guys open, couldn't make plays with his legs. 
he had time, and that was the thing that I, I mean, you started to walk on at right tackle in this game for Tennessee because they were out both tackles. Mincy couldn't play and John Campbell, which I didn't know. <laughs> Maybe would have even changed my pick uh, prior to that news dropping Saturday morning that your two tackles would not be starting in this game. Um, that's a big blow against a team like Georgia, but the offensive line really wasn't a problem. Georgia didn't really get home. Tennessee's defensive line was better than Georgia's defensive line in this game, and they got home more. They banged Carson now. Beck around. I mean, they had a it, they forced an interception that got banged called back. Carson Beck around. Carson Beck took some he shots. If you go back, like and, maybe once. No, he got hit at least three times. Three times. He never got sacked. No, he didn't get sacked, but he got hit. Like they were cut, they were getting home on Carson Beck. He was stepping up in the pocket. Carson I don't think Beck that's getting had, home, not getting any sacks. What I'm saying is Carson Beck had less time in the pocket and made stuff out of nothing than what Joe Milton did. Joe Milton had more time in the pocket than Carson Beck in this game. Carson, Joe Milton. I think that's had, probably by design, though, because yeah. Georgia didn't respect Joe Milton. So it's like, let's make this big athletic quarterback beat us with his arm. And you saw pretty much every time he actually hit one of the deep balls, a Georgia defender was there to make a play on it like there was i think i want to say three deep balls i can remember that he didn't overthrow and bullard knocked one out in the end zone uh lassiter made that great play on the sideline and starks almost picked one off so it's uh this, this georgia secondary it's it's kind of insane because it's the one year where georgia's run defense is actually mortal like I think there's this narrative because Georgia's, you know, just judged at a different level that you can run on this Georgia defense. It's like, yeah, you can, but this is still a top 20 run defense in the country. Like they're third in the SEC. So we're used to this team just giving up like 75 yards a game and just making every single team they play one dimensional. And and that's basically what they did after the very first play of the game. Like after that first uh, 75 yard carry, like what I think Tennessee had. 55 yards the whole rest of the game on the ground averaging about two yards a carry so it's it's uh you they really weren't able to do anything on on the ground but but the, yeah the one thing i was going to say though the year they have a run defense that's actually mortal they have maybe the best secondary in college football and, and this this uh secondary tyke smith uh he made a couple nice plays just the 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 fact that Tennessee just wasn't able to get anything after the after the catch, uh, the, the the defensive backs just tackled so well for this Georgia secondary. I mean, Georgia as a whole just tackles really well. I think they're the best tackling team um, in the country right now. Like Tennessee's not breaking tackles, but I also think to the running part of it, one of the frustrating things about uh, the Tennessee Vol sports guys we were talking earlier tonight, where Jalen Wright was basically out. Like he has that big run, and then he missed a couple series in a row. You had Jabari Small in there. And then you weren't running on first down. Like that was a first down run. And for some reason, Tennessee gets in these weird funks where they they just overthink it. And Joe took some shots downfield that just weren't completed. He did some weird uh, end around, some screens, and just doing stuff where Georgia's just too good of a tackling team to make that work. And also, the best player on the on Tennessee all year has been Jalen Wright. And he did not get a lot of touches. He had 10 carries for, uh, what, 90 yards, hunt, uh, something like yeah. that in this one. And... Most of that was on one play, but it was also you're running at just inopportune times. Like they should have been setting the tone to make things easier um, for this Tennessee offense. And the third and I mean, it was a tale of two different third down teams, uh, I think, in a lot of ways, too, where uh, we knew coming into the game, Georgia is one of the best third down teams in football. They're also one of the best time of possession teams in football. I think they're fourth in the country coming into this one. Um, they were able to sit on they were able to sit on long drives just like they did last year to keep play keep away from Tennessee. 
But I think the difference this year, I mean, when I look at what I, uh, how this game unfolded in a multitude of ways, I think the three and outs, like Tennessee had, has just had a problem with this all year with the three and outs and just the defense being on the field for so much of this game. And I think what Georgia fans probably didn't know is that like the vast, like this was the most injury riddled game for Tennessee I've seen in a long time. Like there were so many dudes out. So we had a walk on in at star and Will Brooks. Um, Cause your first three <laughs> safeties were all not one was knocked out in this game. And then you were down to a walk on in Brooks who was playing a bunch um, in space. You're down to a third string linebacker and a four string linebacker in this game. You had third string and four string uh, corners Um it was tough. Second string, strong safety or free safety because Wesley Walker was out. You had a walk on at right tackle. You had he um, like Javante Spragans got hurt in the third quarter, um, and he's your best off. He's been your best offensive lineman this year. Obviously, Brew McCoy's been out for the year. Uh, you lose Dante Thornton for the year last year in his first touchdown catch. Um, it was just I'm, it's not making excuses, but it is like where you saw the disparity between what Tennessee had left. Uh, in the chamber and where they were body count wise in Georgia, when they get injuries, it's just like next man up, like CJ Allen's just going to walk right in and you're there. That's why these classes are so important to keep stacking on each other because injuries are a part of the sport. And Hypel talked about it. It's like, yeah, we're banged up, but football, I think he said something like football doesn't forgive or football doesn't care um, about this kind of stuff. Like it's just, that's how it is. Like you're going to get injured. You're going to get beat up. And it's a long season. It's a physical sport. The SEC is a physical league. And sometimes injuries pile up like this. And Tennessee had more injury luck last year than they did this year. But, like, that's just the way it was. And they got absolutely mauled. And also, in a way, where Georgia, I don't think, ever thought they weren't converting a third down. This was the the most backbreaking thing to me was... Tennessee actually did a good job on defense on first and second down. Like Georgia didn't really have any big plays on those and they weren't um, really having a bunch of success on the first and second down where they had success and where they never felt like they were out of it. I think they were like nine for 12 on third down. Tennessee was like two for nine. Um, and it felt like it felt worse. It felt were, like Tennessee um, yeah. Georgia was nine for 13 on third down yeah. and Tennessee was two for 11. Yeah. And it felt like that kind of disparity where Carson Beck made Car- Made well, some plays gonna, with his legs too. Picked a couple, picked up a couple. And I told you he would, right? Like I said, coming into the game, I think he would because, like, that's the thing that he had to do. You but t- you said he needed to, but I think that you were questioning his ability to do that. Well, speaking of Beck, let's talk about Beck real quick. Carson Beck looked like an absolute superstar in this game. Like he, Carson Beck was throwing darts all around the field. Like Carson Beck was unbelievable, and the disparity between Beck and Milton was unbelievable in terms of just quarterback talent arm talent just uh, (laughs) everything that you would want to see like throwing guys open just i mean dylan bell steps in no lad mcconkey and they just don't really miss a beat um for georgia but i thought that was carson beck's best game as a dog to this one i don't know if you share that same sentiment but i thought he was more cerebral than i've ever seen him and i think he looks like if he comes back next year i think he's the heisman favorite coming into next year to be honest, I think this is who Carson Beck has been basically every single week, like over the last at least month of the season. Like, I think this is what I've been talking about. And and let's be honest, he's not the most handsome guy, right? And so I feel like there's just this tendency that every fan base doesn't think he's legit. Like every fan base, like I saw, you know, Barstool Tennessee, you know, just putting out 
just a just a picture of him. Like that was the tweet, right? On like for Thursday or Friday night. And it's like it's just this level of disrespect like, "Oh, this is your goofy ass looking quarterback." Like and I think just every single I, I definitely sensed that with Florida. And that was probably his first game where people started to see like, "Okay, this this Georgia offense is like a finely finely tuned machine." But it's like and until it happens to you, you t- you just he just keeps getting res- disrespected. And so it's like, oh, this this guy, this guy's going to come deal on our on our defense. It's like, yeah, he's been doing this all year. And this is why I've said he is better than Stetson Bennett. Like Stetson Bennett had some X factor, some moxie and played his best games. His legacy was made on the biggest stage. So obviously Carson Beck's going to have to make plays in the college football playoff to to match Bennett Stetson's legacy. But the way this guy hits people in stride just from the 15 to 30 yard throws, it's just everything is perfect. It's 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 honestly insane. And, and Georgia just has way too many weapons. It's you can't like you said, Lad McConkey was out for this game. He, I saw him uh, maybe a couple snaps early on, but like this is George's been George's best receiver all season long. Um, like close up there with uh, Brock Bowers for, for like production in this offense. And he's definitely played a huge part while Bowers was out. And this team still has 10 plays of, of 20 plus yards in this game from six different people. Like Dylan Bell is a guy who's, you know, helped, <clears throat> excuse me, helped the run game uh, when the, had the injuries in the backfield early on. And now Kendall Milton is healthy. And so he's kind of fallen down the depth chart at running back. And now he's probably like the fifth wide receiver in this, in this group. Cause Ra Ra Thomas and Lovett have started to come along. And now this guy goes out and has, you know, the best game of, of his season, of his career, really, at Georgia. And and that's why they're just so dangerous. Like, Brock Bowers is just, like, inevitable. Like, he's just going to get his because this guy's just a stud. But the, the ability that Carson Beck has to just hit every single throw in stride, like, every big play Georgia has, it feels like it's a crossing route because he's getting enough time to to sit back and just – pick defenses apart and go through his progressions and he hits guys 20 yards downfield and they hit go right in stride and pick up another 10 or 20 after the catch and it's just that's the biggest difference Stetson Bennett uh as good as he was I feel like every pass Brock Bowers caught he was turning his body and having to adjust uh, and make the catch but like Carson Beck his Georgia's offense is just so sharp like I it's it's embarrassing as a Georgia fan, to hear the national media talk about how critical such a large minority of the fan base was about the Mike Bobo hire. Because like this offense, if it's not just as good as last year, it's it's even better. And it feels it feels better, in, in my opinion. Like I think statistically, they still may have averaged like another point, point and a half than this team has to this point. But I just this this offense is just just about unstoppable. They played just about a perfect game on Saturday. Yeah, I would uh, I would agree. They weren't really challenged anyway. Tennessee, I mean, uh, outside of uh, some stuff um, over the Brock Bowers, James Pierce incident that uh, some folks got way too riled up about. Because if you watch Brock Bowers post game, it's pretty like hey, it's football players doing football things and. Folks, I got some bad news about what happens in piles and everything else uh, in intense uh, football games. Um, gonna go ahead and guess a lot worse than uh, what was alleged uh, in that uh, little spat between uh, Brock Bowers and James Pierce. But um, that was one where I had that I was right. Like Brock Bowers, you know what's different too? Brock Bowers is obviously an elite player. 
going to be a top five pick probably in the NFL. He's going to have a long NFL career. Um, but I think you just see the difference with what a elite quarterback does versus anything else. They, the impact that they have in games is just not even close. Like Brock Bowers can, Lad McConkey can miss a game. Brock Bowers can miss time. If you have a guy like Carson Beck now, who's just hitting everywhere on the field and it's just operating at a level like he is, it's just nobody matters more on offense. Like it's just not even close. So it's just, yes, Brock Bowers is the best tight end in the sport, but it's like, he's not as valuable as Carson Beck is to this Georgia team this year. Like Carson Beck going down changes Georgia's calculus significantly yeah. more than Brock Bowers going down. And I, I wonder think, if Georgia fans Bowers injury. Well, yeah, I think the Bowers injury, definitely that, that did a lot for Carson Beck's Heisman yeah. case. Like this, this offense put up two impressive performances, even without Bowers, but he comes back and you see how, how much more dangerous he's, he, it's like, okay, he still is the best playmaker on this offense, but, but yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely true. Like that's definitely gotten his Heisman, uh, buzz up there because i mean this guy's got to be a heisman finalist and and sh- i'll shout out to my brother because he threw out this comparison get up i get a strong mac jones vibe from carson beck like yeah he was loaded with playmakers but that man played perfectly in 2020 he he's a guy who sat around for what three four years like waited his turn at a big time powerhouse I think that's honestly as good of anything of Carson's Beck's story. It's like in the era of the transfer portal, this guy waited around three years because he knew George is where he wanted to be. He paid his dues, and now he's the starter. But how I think with how good Mac Jones was in that 2020 season, I see a lot of similarities of, of with Carson Beck. It's just everything is just like almost perfect on schedule. Like you just hit the receiver in stride, and he go. It's he was playing with a, a couple first round picks, I think, at wide receiver, but. Uh, but still, I think I see a lot of Mac Jones, Carson Beck comparisons. I, I don't think this guy comes back next year. Like he, he's a if he's a Heisman finalist, if Georgia, you know, goes to the playoff, if they win a third straight national championship, like I don't think there's any reason to go. Like who who's the definite quarterbacks to get picked ahead of him? Like Caleb Williams, Drake May, like maybe Jaden Daniels. Like I think he's in that top four or five quarterbacks coming out this year if he does come out. So. I I kind of doubt that he returns uh, uh, this year with the way he's playing. It just depends. Bo Nix will come out. Maybe I think Shador is not coming out. It would like he's a better to... prospect than Bo Nix. Quinn Ewers, I think it's the upside. He said of Quinn he's Ewers. coming back. Yeah, Quinn so Ewers that's what I'm saying. Like I don't know. Carson Beck. It also might depend, like you said, on how the postseason goes. Like, what if Carson Beck loses against Alabama in the SEC title game and they miss the playoff? Like, yeah. I think it just depends on how the rest of the season plays out. But I also think the next year's class is not as deep as this class at quarterback. So I think if he comes back, you're looking at a situation where he might be the number one overall pick is that's his ceiling. And I think when you talk about Mac Jones, I just think he has a lot more arm talent than Mac Jones. I think he is a better overall prospect than Mac. And I think he's, I don't know. I I was very, very impressed um, by Carson Beck uh, in this game. Um, But in your estimation, Matt, how did Georgia blow out uh, Tennessee? I mean, I think obviously we've talked a lot about the offense and the offense was just able to, you know, do basically whatever they wanted. I think they scored on six of their first eight drives in this game. Um, But also the defense, it's like this Josh Heupel offense, like this is probably the worst uh, Josh Heupel offense. I think I saw someone on Twitter going back to his Missouri and like Oklahoma days too. Like this is, I think, literally the the worst offense Mm -hmm. in terms of points per game. Um, so, you know, 
not necessarily just an indictment on his overall offense. It's just, it's a bad year, but you've seen Kirby go up against this Josh Heupel offense now three years in a row in three years, 33 possessions against Georgia, Tennessee's had 14 punts, four turnovers, six turnover on downs. They've scored eight times, four eight times in 33 possessions, eight touchdowns or four touchdowns, four field goals. So you've just seen you've seen this Tennessee offense work against a lot of people, but it hasn't really worked against Georgia so far in three years. And I think it's 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 like uh, when you when you turn the ball over, when you throw picks, fumble it, like that's demoralizing. But there's something about like like we were talking about with third down. You just when every single drive is just coming down to a third and five, third and four, and you just throw another incomplete pass, and then the punt team comes on. It's it's like that's almost more demoralizing. It's just we just we just can't get anything going, and then Georgia's offense is back on the field again. Like like you were talking about the time of possession. I think it was 41 to 19 uh, minutes in this ball game. It's like that's. Obviously, Tennessee is not the time of possession team. Like they did score one play and uh, seventy-five yards on one play at one point, but forty-one to nineteen, like that's just that's just absurd. And, and we know how this Tennessee offense this year is built. They're not built like last year or even the twenty twenty-one season. They want to run the ball. They want to grind teams out, and you're going to hold on to the ball a little bit more if you do that. So I think they had to keep Georgia's offense on the field, and that's exactly the opposite of what happened and you know this this offense was just inevitable really and and the defense played a hell of a game like you saw that i think probably a fresh mistake because cj allen was filling in for dumas johnson for the second straight week and you saw on that long run he kind of allowed that left tackle to get to the second level and, and didn't really and kind of left that hole open and and uh what's his name uh running back Jalen right Jalen Wright just uh, busted right through, obviously. So, and that was really the only mistake you saw. You saw Georgia really make the the whole game. So, it was just uh, it was a pretty dominant performance, uh, just on all on all facets. I thought it was interesting that Dylan Bell, who I've liked a lot for them, um, he obviously gets a big role with Lad McConkey uh, out for this one. What did you see from Dylan Bell that kind of caught you by surprise, and what gets you excited about how he could be used? Because I, I don't really know what his position is. I just know he's just a good player that they just they found a way, and he just he just feels like a Ferrari sitting in the sitting in the garage right now. Because I I just I think he's a high upside offensive Swiss Army knife. Do you feel the same? Without a doubt, and I think that's why when you heard the rumblings in in uh, preseason practice that like all the all the injuries Georgia was having at the running back position, and Dylan Bell was going to move over to from wide receiver to running back. The, the second you heard it, it was like okay, like this this is a dude you know is a built wide receiver. He's not he's not some lean guy like wide receivers are usually built. So it made a lot of sense. And then you saw the way he's run, uh, just the ball between the tackles, like this guy. He's looked really good playing running back. And then as soon as, like I was kind of saying earlier, like as soon as Kendall Milton's gotten healthy, his his uh you know contribution in the running game is just kind of dwindled. So me and my brother were actually talking about it you know, a, f- a few days ago because we do think he's uh, a dangerous weapon, but he hadn't really been used. So to see him just have like a breakout performance and that's just – it just speaks to how how loaded this Georgia team is, and I think I heard someone say that that was a that was a Todd Munkin offer. Like he apparently worked him out like individually and offered on the spot, and that's that's a guy that was like a three star, two star by some uh, measurements. And I think that's what also gets 
uh, I don't know, minimized uh, when people talk about Georgia. Like, obviously, they got all these five stars. They're going to be better than everybody. And, and this season, there's as many five stars in the first string offense and defense as three stars. There's the same number of five-star, three-star starters um, in Georgia's lineup right now. And, and Dylan Bell's another one of those guys who's just – he wasn't the most highly ranked guy, but Georgia just has a way of, of, of finding the the right guys, and they also have a, a a way of finding five stars as well. So that doesn't hurt. But but yeah, I think uh, he's he really is a Swiss Army knife. Obviously, I was shocked just for like the novelty aspect that he didn't get like a goal line carry and just to get him make get make him an answer to a trivia question of a guy who ran one, caught one, and threw one in in one individual game, you know, but. But yeah, to see him uh, with the the halfback pass early, I think that's another thing. You know, Bobo was in his bag. Like Mike Bobo has just been calling like a perfect game, just about all season. And you saw just the different kind of things they the creative things they they've done to use all these different offensive weapons. It's just uh, you got to tip your cap to see a guy like Dylan Bell and and that catch he made, like. That I think the most demoralizing play of the game, I would say, from a ten, obviously the the interception overturned for the defensive holding. I think it was with Tennessee fans would probably the game changing play they would probably point to. But I want to say it, it was either ten seven or it was seventeen to seven in like the second quarter, and it was like that third and twelve. And Carson Beck put it on the sideline to Dylan Bell for like a pickup of like 16 or something like that. Just where he has just an, a dime, just a the dude's not even open. Just put it on the back shoulder and Dylan Bell made a ridiculous uh, catch on the sideline. I think that's when it was like, OK, it doesn't even matter what Tennessee does on first and second down. Georgia's going to pick it up on third and this offense is just going to keep moving. Yeah. And. Look, it was just a domination in all facets. And um, look, I think <laughs> Tennessee is just ready to close the book here. Um, and they just need more depth. And they need to move on from the Jim Elnair. I mean, just an ad, like he was just awful the last two weeks. There's no way to sugarcoat it. I mean, he was awful. They're extremely injured. Not an expansive uh, game plan here offensively. Joe did not use his legs that he'd been using. That was something that was a key against Alabama. Like he just stayed in the pocket. He was very stationary once again. And it felt like that was by design too. It felt like Georgia was kind of just, they were sitting in zone a bunch in the pocket and yeah, just making him make plays with his arm. And he did not. And I think that's how they'll play Jalen Milrow too. in the SEC championship, like make Mm. this guy sit in the pocket and make him beat you with his arm which he was able to do against Texas A&M and basically nobody else. Like it's been his legs that he's had to, to really to have the biggest impact on games. But um, you kind of alluded to one thing. So I had two questions that I was going to wrap up our Tennessee Georgia chat with. Mm-hmm. You basically answered one of them that you did not really believe that Tennessee was going to win this game. That I was like, like 30, like that George, they were going to score 38 points on Georgia. So I guess you answered that. You did not really believe that Tennessee was winning this game. I did not think they were winning the game, but I thought that if you had told me all the different possibilities score-wise and how the game would have gone, especially offensively, I don't think I would have had that. I knew that Georgia was going to convert third downs. Tennessee has no answers for that. Like I knew that was going to be the case. I knew they were going to win the time of possession. I knew they were going to be able to sit on the ball, but I did not think Tennessee would have 
that much of an anemic showing where Georgia didn't even, it wasn't like the last two years where Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter are breaking through the offensive line and Hendon's running for his life and things just get really rough in a hurry, but things are still popping. Like you still have guys making plays out wide. You still have some stuff to keep you quote unquote in it. Like this was, you actually had time. They put you in a zone and they were like, make, do something, make somebody make a play. And no one for Tennessee, whether that was receivers, tight ends, quarterback, whoever, nobody could make a play the entire game. Like it was after Jalen Wright. When I say I did not think that there would be a scenario where they made exactly one play the entirety of the game when Georgia's defense, I just, they didn't, it wasn't, they were the, the best thing I could say about Georgia's defense is they tackled extremely well. And that is a big thing. And that's an important thing in today's game. But like, I don't know. I just, I can only say that like the lack of explosive plays and what we've seen this year, they've been one of the least explosive teams, especially through the air all year long. It's just kind of jarring to see that versus what we've seen the first two years in the hype era. And no Nico, Nico now preserved his red shirt by not playing in this game. So now he can play in Vanderbilt and the bowl game and keep his red shirt. So I assume we're going to see Nico a lot on Saturday against Vanderbilt and then hopefully in the bowl game because uh, Joe opts out to get ready for the draft or whatever. That's what we're all hoping. Look, Joe's a good dude. I wish him well. He stuck around. But Heupel hitching his wagon to Joe Milton for three years was a mistake. And he should have learned after the first two games in 2021 where he was bad. And I think Milton's actually regressed down the stretch here. Just It was never going to happen. And he should have prioritized the transfer portal market more. He should have. I mean, I understand it was always going to be hard with Nico coming in and Joe just having the locker room because he was Hendon's guy. But at some point, <laughs> what you saw on tape has to matter. And he was bad at Michigan. He was bad in those first two games at Tennessee and 2021. And he was just never good. And I just, I think we're all just ready to move on. Like good dude, wish him well. But he was an, he was an awful, awful Tennessee quarterback for <laughs> three years. And I think he's the worst Tennessee quarterback since Matt Sims. And I think- wow it's it's just time to turn the page like he's he's just bad unfortunately just a bad quarterback that was actually my my next question was like i'm someone who lived through the jake from justin fields conversation and like you couldn't hear anyone that didn't want justin fields to be put in this in over jake from and and jake from was one of the better quarterbacks in all of college football that year and it was like just a super divisive conversation the entire season amongst the fan base. And I can't believe that with how Joe Milton has played all season and you have this guy who was the number one quarterback in the country, why are you even worried about his red shirt? Like, like why this, he has 14 pass attempts on the season. Like the fact that he, you didn't almost have like a package for him in the second quarter of every game or something like is, is almost questionable because like, People want to see if, if must Joe, unless the quarterback is a stud, you want to see what this five star can do. So that's one thing I kind of question of like why we're even worried about this guy's red shirt. If this guy is the six, seven Bryce Young, like you're talking about, like he doesn't, he's not going to be here for four years. So I, um, that's one thing I just, I can't really understand that we didn't see any really meaningful minutes for, from, from Nico all season. Like, I mean, the one thing I guess I'll say in Heupel's defense, you look at the four games that Alabama lost, or the Alabama, that Tennessee lost, 
the quarterback was not the reason I don't think for any of them. Like he, for one, the, the Alabama game was the best game of Joe Milton's career for those two quarters, you know? So he actually played well in that one, but Missouri dominated them like with, with what they were able to do offensively versus Tennessee's defense. Like Georgia's offense dominated Tennessee's defense, Florida's uh, offense. I mean, they, they were able to run the ball, have a lot of success. It was a pretty dominant performance. They, they shut down Tennessee. I guess you could blame that one on Joe Milton. I guess that's a 20. What did Florida win? Like 26, 26, 17 or something like that. It was in a 20 second quarter. And Joe, that was absolutely a, if you even have an, Oh, it was a pick six in that one. Uh, no, there wasn't a pick six in that one. Okay, he threw it up know. in the air. He had a duck ball that went up in the air when he was getting sacked and threw it just straight up in the air and Florida picked it off. But um, no, there wasn't a pick six in that game. Okay. So so the Florida game, maybe that is. And so there, the fact there was a pick six last week. Or no. Uh, wow, this is all. You're right. Together. The Missouri game. There was a pick yeah. six in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, so the fact that the Florida loss happened so early, too, it's like kind of an eye opener. Like, oh, okay. Maybe we need to see what the backup can do. I'm kind of shocked. And I guess from your perspective, like you might, I don't know if you're on message boards in Sever Tennessee, but you have more of a pulse of what Tennessee fans are thinking. Was there this, has there been this Nico conversation all year of like, why is Joe Milton still the quarterback? Oh God, this is going to be like a nine 95 minute podcast. Um, <laughs> yes. That's been a conversation all year long, but I, uh, I think, everyone's like joe milton like the conversations have been very frustrating because like the caveat always opens he's a good dude and he's a nice guy he's good for me and then you're like yeah the reason you're opening with that over and over again is because like you don't like we all feel bad about how we feel about joe milton as a quarterback because you're just like he's a good guy and you wanted it like you wanted the natural uh progression from hendon to joe like they were best friends it was a great story last year he stayed he helped hendon a lot they were roommates. I don't know if you heard that before. And they were they were cool. So it was like you wanted him to thrive. Like everyone wanted him to work. And I think the other part of it is like the difference with Jake Fromm and Fields. Georgia had national title expectations that year. Tennessee does not have national. Like no Tennessee fan went into this year thinking national title. Everyone, if you looked at the most message boards and talked to analysts, anybody else, Everyone would have said nine and three. Like everyone was saying nine and three is the goal. I, I think I recall you saying a playoff appearance in there. Uh, I in no, Hold on. What did I say? I said that either one of two things would happen. I said they would either go like seven and five or like 11 and one or 10 and two. Like I said, it was one of the two things. Like either Joe's yeah. going to be really bad and they're going to be closer to that six win March or Joe's actually going to just ball out and really year three and hypo scheme unload the clip like a really electric offense and they run that did not happen and this was a closer to a six and six team than a nine and three ten and two team um i think by and large this year because a&m if connor wegman plays and he's not out like that game was very winnable for a&m and i think they probably win that game um and then you're suddenly at seven and five territory um with this group um and look i just I, there's not much more to say. Like it was just an average team this year. Um, injuries are a problem. Some really devastating ones, specifically to Brew McCoy, changing how this team played um, uh, on the perimeter. But look, Joe fans definitely wanted Joe to succeed. They're still pretty split about it. Um, I just there's other plays that I can't really like. I don't even want to really discuss on air about like certain factors about like theories and um, just comments about like why the season's gone the way it has a quarterback and stuff like that but like 
I don't know. I just don't. The grand scheme of things, they weren't winning anything this year with this group. I think it was a gap year. You still get eight and four, nine and three. Recruits who are on campus know, like, hey, here's an opportunity for us to jump in and help immediately. Like this, they see the five stars who are on campus for this game. A lot of big time recruits like Jordan Seaton, like, oh, this is how like we can close the gap. Like that's actually a sneaky important thing. It's like you think that oh, this has got to hurt Tennessee's recruiting, um, getting blown out like this at home, and not really. Like Dolly Parton was at this game. Peyton Manning like escorted her out, and uh, the environment was really loud. You broke a decibel level uh, in this one uh, for the Jalen Wright opening touchdown run, like. They all saw that, and they're like, we "What were the saw- decibels in the fourth quarter?" It doesn't matter. It's just the, <laughs> what we what have we always said on this podcast? The peak is always bigger than anywhere else. And um, no, I just think they see it as like, "Oh, that's a path to playing time." And when NIL is close, yeah. and you're in the SEC, it's a path to the field where they see that. And you look at Georgia, okay. like this team needs some help. Yes, and they're a premier program, and they're like, "I can be that missing piece to get them to that to point." So. I think sky's not falling. Nico's going to play going into next year. But I think Heupel's really hitched his wagon. Like Heupel's tenure now comes down to Nico. If Nico is not a Heisman type guy, Heupel is not here in three years. And I'd be worried about a guy that's got no experience. And like you're saying, he's, he's probably going to play the Vanderbilt game and play the bowl game. But like, if this guy was getting meaningful, uh, you know, experience, like obviously they compare a lot of things back to Georgia. Like you look at like a 2006 Georgia, 2016 Georgia with Matthew Stafford and Jacob Eason's freshman year. It's like, those were rough seasons, but at least by the end of the year, it's like, okay, this guy can play. You figured out this guy can play and you're, you're feeling good about next season. Like right now, if he balls out against Vanderbilt, okay, Joe Milton balled out against Vanderbilt. If he plays well in the bowl game, Joe Milton played well in the bowl game last year. I don't. We. I still need to see much more than that. I need to see him go into a hostile environment, something like that, and see what he's really made of. Let him. Let him learn on the job. So I think he's going to come into 2024, you know, as the starter most likely, and really have no idea what to expect of him. Yeah. Well, we'll see. We have time. We'll see how it goes. But look, tough year. For Tennessee, tough environment on Saturday. And uh, better team won and one-handedly, sir. So congratulations to you and the dogs. Um, and that's the nicest I'll be about now, Georgia. Seven straight now over Tennessee uh, for Kirby Smart and, and the dogs. Their longest streak ever. I think the longest streak in this rivalry is is nine straight that Tennessee had in the 90s. So mm-hmm. Georgia getting close to that longest streak in the history of this rivalry. But who knows how long. How, how, how about play moving forward? So we'll see what happens. That's the other best thing. Tennessee's schedule is nice next year. Like, it's a 9-3, and 10-2 schedule. Um, they lucked out. There's a lot of bad SEC schedules highlighted by Florida here where it's like yeah. Florida's going to be lucky to go 4-8. and eight. Um, This is a good one. So that's nice if you're buying some Nico stock going into next year and Tennessee bounce back. Um, there were other games, though. Uh, Matt Green in the college football slate. Were My there? favorite... There, my favorite was the night game between Ohio, uh, Oregon State and Washington. That was really fun. Uh, late Oregon State does not pull it off. Um, ultimately, they had some chances. They drive down. Oregon State's fun because I don't know if you noticed this, but like one of the things that's like jarring now watching football in 2023, Matt Green, is quarterbacks under center a lot. And that's something you never see anymore. Everyone's just in the gun all the time. It's how they're taught at the high school, middle school level you're not really taught to get under 
center anymore. Oregon State's under center all the time. And DJU is just under there, uh, licking his hand, getting under the center before he goes up. And you're like, what year is this? It's really wild to see Oregon State play football in the year of 2023. But um, it's great. Damian Martinez, a little wrecking ball um, in the backfield, kind of has some Marshawn Lynch vibes to me. The way he bounces around and gets there, where you're like, I don't feel like he should be able to be this effective, but he is. He does run with some violence. Yeah. Like I, I like him. Like he's really fun. And DJU sailed a lot of balls. He, I don't think DJU is very good. Um, I'll just say he's fine <laughs> uh, for yeah. Oregon State, and they're kind of in Milton ways where it's like they're letting him uh, air it out every now and then. But like, hey, we run the football here. We're gonna run the football down your throat, and uh, that's how we're gonna win football games. But um, hey, shout out to my brother for the second time on the podcast because um, mm-hmm. he threw out this other comparison. He did. It, he threw out the Joe Milton uh dju comparison uh on saturday night as well i was like that's honestly a pretty good call uh dj you he did have some physical runs in this one he he made way more plays with his legs than he honestly yeah. did with his arm but yeah i feel like this was washington's best win of the season like i mm. know they beat oregon but that that was at home close game obviously great performance great environment but this just felt like it had this was the recipe of an upset like mm. going on the road This is a team that wants to run the ball. It's pouring rain. It's cold. I don't know how many drops Washington had uh, just from this. I'm going to credit a lot of it to the rain. Um, So it's I'm reminded of North Gwinnett versus Lowndes in the state championship. My uh, junior year of high school or Mm. senior year of high school, where it was just an absolute monsoon. North North Gwinnett's this air raid finesse team. Lowndes is a wishbone, just grimy triple option, and Lowndes absolutely wiped the floor with us, and it was a it was a beatdown. And so to see the the finesse team, Washington, go on the road, I, I just felt like this had all the makings of an upset. And the defense had to get some stops, and the defense stepped up in this one. Yeah, no, I mean they the corner too like they kept challenging uh one of uh u-dub's corners here and just it never worked (laughs) like they just kept going at him and he just kept uh deflecting and stopping it and they deserve credit they had they forced that field goal where uh the long drive where uh oregon state started inside their 10 and it was a good bounce back drive and they thought they were gonna get the ball back one more time and they did and they got about the 50 in washington uh held them and they they made it they made dju beat them and that's just not oregon state's game oregon state or dju was not about to drive down and win that game for them uh i, in crunch I feel time. like that was terrible clock management also mm. like they were just they made that be the last drive of the game like they, yeah. there was no sense of urgency like they i don't know it's like i was i was talking um watching the game just like they're they're treating this like they're in field goal range already. Like it mm-hmm. was it was very strange watching it. Like they're they're still not across midfield. So that's one thing I do question from uh, from Oregon State's perspective. But um, but yeah, it was uh the the one take I have from coming away from this game, Washington deserves to have a guy in the Heisman hmm. ceremony, but I'm not sure it's Michael Penix Jr. I think Rome Adunze might be the best receiver in college football. Like, this guy is an absolute baller. Like, I think Penix Jr. was putting up some great stats early in the season, and it kind of elevated everyone to be like, oh, this is the Heisman guy. But I don't know, the last month of the season, he's had a, a few pretty average games. Like, it's it's kind of like the whole Jalen Milrow versus LSU thing. Like, 
people treated that USC performance as if it was a Heisman performance. It's like, hey, everybody's balling on USC. So I'm not sure what that has to do with anything. But I don't know. You've seen you've seen him struggle with Arizona State. You know, a, a lot of these games, like he was he was fine in this game. I did mention the drops, like, but he, he was he was not incredible by any means. He was good enough to win the game, but I think uh, Roma Dunze with what this guy he's got 700 yard games on the season. Like I think he's had 80 or more yards in every single game this season. But this guy is just an absolute monster. Like I uh, I'm pushing for this guy to get get his invite to New York. There you go. I I don't hate that. I mean they were going to him over and over again. I mean that was the game winning sealer was to Dunze where they went after the freshman and Michael Penix just looked right over at him and like it was a cool play call where like Kalen DeBoer drew up where like they all went to the right it was almost like a basketball iso where they sent everybody to the right side except for a dunze and they just exactly. went one-on-one and that was a Heisman type thing where it's like all right you're not beating our best player one-on-one and credit to also Michael Penix good ball he had some crazy ones for too sure. though Michael Penix makes some wild decisions he, they don't really get picked off but Michael Penix is, yeah He's got a little bit of that Tua in him. Like Tua, mm. maybe it's just the lefty thing. I just, I see Tua when I see Penix throwing. But um, it's like sometimes, you remember Tua in that 2018 season, he would just let that thing rip. And it was probably going to be a first round pick that came down with uh, with the ball. And Washington's got the same deal going on. He's a couple first round guys out wide. Absolutely. Um, Matt Green, what if Louisville wins out? Um, then it's a great season and they're going to the Orange Bowl. Congrats. Congrats. You don't think they're making the playoff uh, if they went out? No chance. No chance. I mean, absolute chaos is like is 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 uh especially now that Jordan Travis is out, that that's really gonna hurt if they could potentially beat FSU. I, we haven't even talked about that, but yeah, Jordan Well that's Travis how I'm gonna lead into FSU and stuff. But I'm looking at this and I'm like, you get Kentucky here who's fighting for seven wins. Kentucky's probably looking at six and six here. So you beat Kentucky. You get Tate Roadmaker and Florida State and the ACT title game. You win that one. All you actually need, I think, is Texas to lose and Washington to lose. And I think you're in. But think about it. We know we know there's one of these two teams has one game left. And so we know one of these two teams is only going to have one loss. And that's Mm -hmm. the loser of the Ohio State Michigan game. You think there's any chance in hell? Louisville gets ahead of the loser of Ohio State, Michigan. Yes, I don't think it happens, especially if it's Michigan. Like, I think they're going to do whatever they can to keep Michigan. I guess out. there's more of a case if there's Michigan. They don't have a great resume. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think if if Louisville wins out and it just is a one loss, like if Texas loses and Louisville wins out, I think Louisville is actually sneakily in very good shape to make a playoff spot. See, I just don't I don't see that. I mean, I think the Big Ten you can basically lock in as having a playoff spot. Like Yeah, like I would talk about we talked about Alabama potentially not getting in if they win the SEC because of No, Bama's you know, getting the, in. No, then no, no, hold, hold, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't the, know that. The Big Ten and the SEC will not be left out. The power to the powers that be, that will never happen. Are you no. going to put if FSU goes undefeated, they're they're in the playoff. Yes. If the, the Big Ten champion that's undefeated is in the playoff. Mm. If Washington and Oregon don't trip up in week 13, the winner of the Pac-12 championship is in the playoff, right? Mm. That's three. You can't put... If, if Texas wins the Big 12 with one loss, you just cannot justify Alabama being ahead of Texas. You just can't do it. Oh, right. 100%. I don't disagree with that. 
So that's why it's not happening. Oh, are, I didn't know you were saying that they were winning. Okay, so Alabama wins the SEC. I'm saying scenario? if Alabama beats Georgia, wins the oh, SEC. Oh, then Alabama's getting they, in over Texas. You just, they, they can't do it. I if know you say they can't, but they will. If it's between, well, say Washington does it. So if it's FSU, Big Ten, Champ, and Washington, that's three undefeated. That's a guarantee. So if it comes yeah. down to Texas versus Alabama, I just, we're, we're going to question why we <laughs> ever schedule games if we're just going to put Alabama in the playoff. If it comes down to Oregon, Alabama, and Texas, uh, yeah, Oregon, Alabama, and Texas, now you can get creative as the committee. Like now you can maybe get Texas and Alabama in there and Oregon sitting out, but you cannot put Alabama in the playoff and leave Texas out. I just don't see a scenario you can do that. No, I don't. Uh, I mean, I think a lot of this is gonna um, is gonna ha- just play out differently. I mean, I don't know. We're there's still more opportunity for chaos here. Um, Tom Fernelli tweeted it out tonight. Uh, most one-score wins without a loss this season. Louisville and Washington, they both have five apiece. That just screams wow. to me one of these teams is going down. Like, they're just playing with fire every week. Like, I just think it's going to be this natural thing where when you are in that many one-score games, eventually it's going to go bounce the wrong way, and you're going to go down. And I don't know. My gut tells me right now. And Look you can... at those horned frogs a year ago. That's true. It's the national championship game. You know what stinks? I mean, everything about the Jordan Travis thing is horrific like this is just i mean it sucks man like that just they were going to make the playoff now i mean they still very much might make the playoff like the path is pretty easy uh but i mean now they gotta go to florida the game at the swamp looks a lot different right now yeah and i mean but also to their help grant Mertz is not playing in that game because he's also out yeah um so it's gonna be two backup quarterbacks facing off uh in the the rivalry game this week but I don't know. I just, it. I don't know what to think about Florida State the rest of the way now because look, you've been good. You've dominated in a way like they have a lot of fun guys, Keon Coleman and company, Jared Verse and Trey Benson and uh, Johnny Wilson and all those dudes. But you're like, do I actually want to see them in now? And I hate this thought where well, I'm like, you agree if they go, if they win out they have to be in no there, i'm not right? disagreeing but is there a part of you where it's like they're a great story like you're so i'm so no, conflicted I'm where i'm like they're a great story and i a part of me wants them to win out and make a, and tate to be awesome and them to not miss a beat and just make make it fun in the playoff the other part of me is like do we want a backup quarterback in the playoff or do we want like quinn ewers in texas or do we want um I don't know, one lot like a one loss Washington or a one like, do you get what I'm saying? Where I'm like, I feel weird I, about it now. Well, I always felt like even with Jordan Travis, if if Florida State lost one lost one game, they were gonna lose the resume conversation with all the mm-hmm. other with all the other teams. So they were gonna be out regardless. So if if they're a one loss without Travis, they're definitely not getting in in terms of those kind of subjective conversations. But I mean, if if they do go undefeated, I'm with you. Like in terms of just like seeing the best product, like it felt like you needed some like Jordan Travis just has some of that like X factor stuff of running around making plays with his legs. Maybe he can elevate the play of you know FSU. I know you love to talk about the blue chip ratio. FSU is not in the blue chip ratio this year, right? So, but you had a dynamic quarterback in that you know, could potentially elevate their roster. You saw Max Duggan. I'm sure TCU wasn't in the blue chip ratio a year ago. They had a couple pick sixes in the 
in the uh, college ball playoff game versus Michigan, like you had a puncher's chance. But without Jordan Travis, I definitely I don't think they're one of the best four teams. But I mean, you know, we saw what's it? We saw Cardell Jones back in 2014, third string quarterback. So, you know, I it's it'd be it'd be just garbage if the committee were to actually make a decision based on the injury and say, no, you're not as good as this one loss team undefeated FSU isn't as good as this one last team because you don't have your quarterback anymore. Um, but but I'm with you. I think for the best product, I kind of hope they lose to Florida this weekend or maybe Louisville is able to upset them so that we actually do get the best four teams. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it's going to go, but I just couldn't imagine being a Florida State fan down here. Like, you're finally back and everything else. Jordan Travis, a great story. Heisman finalist. It kind of reminds me of Hinton Hooker last year where the South Carolina game, he goes down, torn ACL, Heisman finalist he would have been if he doesn't go down in that game South Carolina gets obviously uh gets just horrific and multitude of ways but like you just feel terrible it's like that's the last moment the last thing you'll remember uh about this kid who uh fought through adversity and found the right system finally good coach and has skilled guys around him NFL receivers and just to end like that just sucks like I just I I just couldn't imagine being a Florida State fan right now. It definitely does. And and like you saw, like like Marcus Lattimore was never the same after mm. that horrific leg break broken leg, you know? So it's just I hope we can see Jordan Travis get a chance to to play the game again because he was a, a dynamic athlete. Um, but yeah, it it definitely sucks uh to see that. Uh Matt Green, Texas, are they proving that they're different with their defensive win at Iowa State? Are you a believer more after that uh, big win in Ames and really just some physical defense that uh, dominated the the Cyclones all day long? I guess what's the question? Am I a believer in what? That if they made the playoff that they could win a game or like they or they just are a deserving playoff team? I think this is a good team. I think that's ultimately why I felt like Iowa State wasn't going to be able to 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 get the upset is because this Texas defense is, is legit. So uh, you, you saw what they did going on the road at, at Alabama was early in the season, but it, they've been a pretty good defense most of the year. So I think, uh, you know, if it's a beauty contest with them and the, the PAC 12 champion, it's like, there's still a, you know, there's still a huge conversation. I think Texas might still, you know, be on the outside looking in from that perspective, but I think this is a good team. And if there is a little bit of chaos, I think this is a team that could get to the playoff and, you know, depending on who they match up with, like they could give some teams some problems. So I don't know. I, I, I've, uh, I've, I've been on Texas the whole year. Like, I don't know that I've thought they can win the national championship, maybe at different times they've looked better than others, but uh, I, I still feel like they're a, definitely a top five team. Yeah. I Are mean, they a top four team though. That's what I'm wondering. I mean, they're just different. Like, they're surviving some big injuries to Jonathan Brooks and company. Quinn Ewers is getting healthy. Yeah, that's another bummer. You beat Bama in Tuscaloosa. I just think the defense looks different. I don't think the Texas defense has looked this good and this physical in a long time. That is a front seven that will give SEC teams problems. That is a front that will cause havoc uh, for Michigan, cause havoc for Ohio State, cause havoc for even Georgia um, if they got matched up. I think, look, I'm not going to come out and say it, but I'm like, part of me is just, 
are we sure Texas is not the second best team in the country right now? Like, are we sure Texas on a neutral field would not be favored against Ohio State and Michigan? Like, I think we're overthinking some of these where I'm like, I saw a lot of NFL players and I saw a lot of dudes on that Texas team on Saturday night. And I think A.D. Mitchell and those receivers and a healthy Quinn, I, I think they're really good. And I think te- this Texas team is, is different. If they can just avoid Texasing one more week and then beat Oklahoma – uh, in a revenge spot, or Oklahoma State, whoever it might be, in the Big 12 title game, I think Texas is actually pretty scary in the in the college football playoff if they make it in. I think I'm with you there because, like, we we see Michigan now. They've played, you know, not that many teams that are actually have a pulse offensively, and you, you saw Maryland give them a, a tough game uh, this weekend. So I don't know that Ohio State and Michigan are actually better than this Texas team. Um, they're obviously both undefeated. Texas has uh, been tripped up and lost a game this year uh, to a, a pretty good Oklahoma team. But I, uh, I'm with you that I think, given the matchup, they're they're definitely a dangerous matchup with that run defense and with those uh, receivers out wide. Um, we know what Ad Mitchell does. If he's going to get in the playoff, he's going to score a touchdown. He's he scored a touchdown in every single college playoff college ball playoff game he's played. So. Um, that, that, that's definitely a team that I would worry about when Quinn Ewers and these receivers are clicking, um, losing Jonathan Brooks is definitely that, that hurts this offense. But, uh, you know, I I think there's a chance their run game could still be solid and they're, and they're dangerous out wide. Yeah. I'm curious to see what Texas does the rest of the way. They're a interesting wild card down the stretch here. Um, Mac, I think my preferred playoff to this point includes Texas in it. I think my with Jordan Travis injury, my preferred playoff, I guess I don't have a preference. I'm not even going to say on the big 10 team, but is Georgia the big 10 champ Oregon and Texas? I think that would make for the best 14 playoff, but I guess I don't even care about the PAC 12. So just big 10 champ PAC 12 champ Georgia and Texas in some order, I think would be kind of the most satisfying top four with this 2023 season ends for me. No disrespect to Florida state out there. Well, for me, I think the best four and the best games, because I'm also as a non like unbiased observer, I want the four, the two best games. And I think the two best games would be two Big Ten teams, Texas and Georgia. Like, I think those four in a group where you have like Ohio State, Georgia and Michigan, Texas will be really fun. Or you flip uh, that around a little bit where you just do Michigan, Georgia in the opener and then Ohio State, Texas, like. I don't know, but something like that I think would be a really fun four. And I also think any of those four can win the national title. And I think that's really what I want is I want four teams in that final four that could actually run the gauntlet. I don't want a Cincinnati. I don't want a TCU. They can't do it. They don't have the personnel. They're not. TCU won a playoff game. Put some respect on TCU's name. They won a game. No, I'm not disagreeing with that. I'm just saying that they could never win the title. Like that was that wasn't even a thing. Like it were they'll never get over they should actually not be allowed back like that's one of those where you get beat that bad in the national title it's just no not hey, Oklahoma back. kept getting invited back after getting blasted in the not first round not the same but... we're talking 65-7 here Matt Green this was uh this was a, that was a different kind of beating uh altogether oh it, it definitely was but um but yeah I don't know I think uh I'm not sold that Ohio State and Michigan are like like ever as every week goes on I'm just the Big Ten as a whole just looks worse and worse. And well, so, you have like, a Michigan take, don't you? That 
I mean, that's basically that is kind of my Michigan take is that so there's six teams in the Big Tens with in the in the Big Ten this year with losing record. Michigan's played five of them. There's seven other teams along with Michigan um, with a winning record, and Michigan's only played three of them. And two of those were their only two wins this year by single digits. So I think you're just seeing these teams. There's just so few teams in the Big Ten that have a pulse. Honestly, like what what were those offensive numbers? It's like eight of the teams in this conference are in the bottom or like hundred something uh, in total offense. I know they're playing good defense in the, in the big 10, but I think, I think the big 10 defense is a little bit overrated this year because there are so many bad offenses. Iowa is nine and two right now. Like they should be 10 and one. Does that tell us everything? Like this team is not, this team is not a good football team. Mm. Like they got a good defense, but they're nine and two because the Big Ten West is absolute trash, and Michigan has only played like the bottom three teams in the Big Ten West, which is one of the worst divisions in the Power Five, I think, this year. So I'm as every week goes on, I'm not necessarily like sold that Ohio State and Michigan are just going to come in and whoever they play in that like in that first round in that two three game because I'm sure the winner of Ohio State Michigan is going to be the two seed assuming Georgia wins, mm. uh, wins out. And I'm not sure they're just going to have their way. Like, I think this, this, these two teams have, have some great defenses, but they've also played a lot of bad offenses. That's fair. Um, Matt Green, you have to say something nice about Georgia Tech here. They're going bowling. It's Georgia Tech, good, good clean, old-fashioned hate this week. Um, Brent Key getting the the jackets back to a bowl game. It resulted in the firing of Dino Babers, which I don't agree with at Syracuse. That's a really, really tough job, and he's been really good there. Um, I think the most in like an early spicy preview, but King uh, uh, Haynes King is sixth in points responsible for in, in all of college football this year, which is pretty wild. Uh, he's been really good out of the portal for them. Um, part of me is like, there's a chance it's spicy. Georgia Tech is a team that can lose at home to Bowling Green. And make things interesting against uh, good competition. I don't know. Uh, what do you What do you make of the the bowling jackets here going? We're already into... getting to to next week. We don't want. No, I just wanted to see if this... you had anything on the jackets going. Well, bowling the one thing games. nice I'll say, just because I can uh, toot my own horn here, is I was on Brent Key from from the jump. I was mm. I was pushing for him to be the guy with how well he did um, as the interim guy. A, a person that would make an interim move. It's kind of like the Sam Pittman thing, like. A person who's going to actually look at Arkansas as a destination. We need to try to lock this guy down. Um, Someone who's going to make a lateral move of O-line coach at Alabama to O-line coach at Georgia Tech. That's someone who really wants to be at Georgia Tech. So Mm -hmm. uh, you you gotta. That's that's half the battle. Is a guy who doesn't look at Georgia Tech as a stepping stone. But I mean, yeah. If you remember last year, Georgia Tech gave Georgia one of the more difficult games in the regular season. I want to say it may have been tied at halftime. It was, but if you know anything about this rivalry, Georgia Tech, the only time they ever beat Georgia is in Athens. They they just come spring up and uh and surprise Georgia every once in a while in Athens. But uh in in Atlanta at Bobby Dodd, I, I think the last win Georgia Tech had was uh, I want to say 1999. So uh, it's been a long time since Georgia went to Atlanta and, and lost in Bobby Dodd Stadium. Absolutely. But you're uh, right. Haynes, Haynes King's been real solid. That's definitely a, a net positive for them and the quarterback transfer uh, uh, situation. Um, absolutely. 
last thing here, and we'll do our recap of how we actually did in our pick this week, Matt Green, because there's a lot of stuff we can hit through. This was actually the biggest wild ending. Auburn got blown out by New Mexico State, and this wasn't even close, Matt Green. I feel like you got a green line stat of the weekend for what happened uh, in Auburn. And I will say this about Auburn. I think Auburn, and this is something that you have to remember if you're a Tennessee fan and just like how just painful this year was. Like, I think Joe Milton is the only, like Peyton Thorne is the only quarterback I would not take Joe Milton or I would not take over Joe Milton uh, at this point. If you're including especially Quinn Ewers and Dylan Gabriel, when you think about a 16-team SEC conference, I was like, we were going through that yesterday where I'm like, who is actually someone I would take Joe Milton over in the SEC right now? And I think Peyton Thorne is the only one in the SEC. Damn, I would is that right? Yeah, I mean, I think so. No one's I, been worse than Joe Milton. Not even Vanderbilt's quarterback? No, A.J. Swan in the now. beginning of the year was okay. Like, I saw better mm-hmm. flashes where I'm like... It, and you also have to think in Hypel's Devin team, Leary's been bad. Yeah, Devin I Leary's been Joe bad, but I would still take Leary. I've seen good Leary. Oof. I've still seen it. I've never seen good Joe Milton, like, for four quarters. I've seen Devin Leary compete for ACC titles. Like, be right there. Put Clemson on the ropes. I've seen different stuff. I've seen the good version of Devin Leary. I've never actually seen the good version of Joe Milton. So, That's I was just fair. saying, it's... I don't know. I think it's just Peyton Thorne. But anyway, back to Auburn. Uh, yeah, Auburn losing 31-10 in New Mexico State. Just unbelievable. Like As soon as you thought, like, you know, Alabama still has to go to Jordan-Harris Stadium at the end of the year, this absolutely just totally deflated that. I'm sure Auburn has a way of playing their best game somehow when, when uh, Alabama comes to town. But um, I'm sure they'll get it's. – I'm sure it's a look ahead. Maybe that's, that's what they're going to say. But the Green Line stat of the week – is that this is the first time this season that a three touchdown underdog won a game by three touchdowns or three or more touchdowns. Mm. And it was New Mexico State obviously beating Auburn this weekend. Can you tell me the last time that a three touchdown underdog beat a team by three or more touchdowns? I'll give you a hint. It was in 2022. Oh, uh, I was going to say, what was Georgia State, Tennessee? Uh, Um. I'll I mean, go ahead and tell you. I'll go ahead and tell you. The last time it happened was the last time that New Mexico State played a Hugh Freeze coach team. They mm. did this to Liberty a year ago. <laughs> New Mexico State, they got Hugh Freeze's number, sir. That's wild. Speaking of Liberty, by the way, undefeated. Caden Salter, I don't know if you knew this or not, uh, was uh, kicked off the team at Tennessee two years ago and is now just putting up bonkers numbers and uh, they're going to win Conference USA and Maybe make a New Year's Six. I don't know how that works for Liberty, but they're going to finish undefeated. Shout out to Liberty. Um, Jamie Chadwell last, out here. Last thing I'll say about Auburn, though. Do you want to know exactly what every, I'll say not every Auburn fan, what every optimistic Auburn fan is saying today in their friend groups, in their in their group, in their group text messages threads? What? You know what they're saying, don't you? You don't know no. what they're saying? They're saying, you know, Nick Saban... They lost to UL Monroe in year one of Nick Saban's tenure. Georgia lost to Vanderbilt in year one of Kirby Smart. So Hugh Freeze could still be Nick Saban or Kirby Smart. We don't know yet. So that's that's what the Auburn fans are saying, the, the optimistic ones. And who knows? They're not wrong yet. Uh, year one, you, you can't overreact to uh, uh, some bad losses in year one. 
Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Here's what I'll say though about that. The thing, I mean, I just, year one, whatever, like there's some weird bad losses and stuff like that. Like Tennessee lost to Pitt at home, but like, I mean, I just look at it Hugh Freeze is recruiting at a crazy level right out of the gate here. I don't know if you're looking at the number of five stars that they're pulling. Auburn's coming back. Like, Auburn is quickly, right? Like, he is um, righting some wrongs. I will say Brian Harson trolling uh, Auburn after that. Th- that needs to be a current, a weekly bit from Brian Harson is uh, anytime Auburn loses, he needs to put out a, uh, put out something where it's like a, a subtle shot at, uh, the Auburn Tigers. I like the pettiness um, there, but I don't know. I was going to pull up their recruiting rankings right now because I think Auburn is for, yeah, they're 16th right now in the 2024 class. And I want to say, let's see. Yeah. They're fifth in 2024 or 2025. Like they're back. Like in terms of Hugh Freeze has got a good recruiting operation and they're all on the same page in a lot of ways and a lot of five-star receivers Good quarterback play will come down the the pike, I'm sure. I just wouldn't worry if I'm an Auburn fan. Like you can't lose like games like that yeah. at home, but also like it, I think the thing I'm circled is like they're the talent's coming. And Hugh Freeze has won a lot in the SEC. I wouldn't panic yet if I'm Yeah, Auburn. and that's why you can't overreact to to year one results. But yeah. um also speaking of not year one results, but year two results, mm. an absolute gut punch. Florida dropping that Missouri game the way they did. I think yeah. that that could really like Napier needed to get to a bowl game to kind of like salvage how this season felt. If he knocked off a top 10 opponent on the road, I feel like that was going to do a lot for them. But uh, man, Missouri escaped. But yeah, Florida, that was that was brutal. I was I was feeling it for the Gators uh, late on Saturday night. Well, also, I didn't Mizzou going over to their side and like getting in their face. Did you see that at the end where like Mizzou players were on the Florida side and were getting in Florida players' faces? Yeah, Mizzou is getting way too confident. Like Eli Drinkwitz going up to Hypel after beating him last week. Coach, yeah, we stand on business, which I still don't know what that actually means. But stand on business, Josh. Yeah, and it's like, dude. You're still down in the series. It's so weird. Like you, you've got you got blown out the they first two. Not, okay. Six in the series. Now I'm saying Eli versus Josh. Like uh, Hypel, like Hypel still has outscored him by a significant number. Like yeah, you got him this yeah, year. You but don't like, worry about that though. You got the whole point is like, what are you doing? Like you're Missouri. Like just enjoy the year. Why are y'all trying to be villains? I don't understand it. Like y'all have y'all are a great story. Like it's a you're gonna win ten games. That's great. Why are you being like a, a bully? They definitely don't get have it. a chip on their shoulder, but I don't get it. Yeah, Florida. This it's hard to say. Like Missouri won this. It almost felt like Florida lost it at the yeah. end. Like that for one, Travis uh, Trevor Etienne going out of bounds on that third down run before they kicked the go ahead field goal. Like 
either you run 30, 40 more seconds of clock off or you make Missouri use their last timeout. And, and Missouri was able to use that last timeout before the fourth and 17 play. So like they would have had fourth and 17, no timeouts, no their final hope of the game. And they're able to call a timeout in a, in a pretty huge situation. But yeah, giving up a fourth and 17 in that situation, like brutal loss for, for Florida. And then, you know, the thicker kicker, he's not, he's not going to miss. No. Um, well, there you go, Matt Green. And let's wrap up. Uh, how did we end up doing going into rivalry week, which will be the last pod this week. Uh, we'll be taking uh, the rest of the week off. I'll travel into Atlanta, obviously, for the holidays. So we will be gone until Sunday night of uh, this time next week. So uh, look out for that, uh, our preview show on Wednesday. But uh, where are we, Matt Green? So you left the door open for me, sir, but uh, I could not walk through it. So we both went six and five on the weekend overall, mm. but against the spread, we both struggled at four and seven this week. So uh, not a strong showing for either of us. Zeus, on the other hand, he didn't have any home dogs winning, but he told you Maryland was going to cover that spread. He wasn't believe he wasn't a believer in Michigan. He said they need Jim Harbaugh on that sideline, and it's starting to look like they do because JJ McCarthy. Uh, He's not that guy, honestly. Let's be honest. J.J. McCarthy is so average. I don't know who was convinced that this guy was a Heisman candidate, but no, I'm still not not sold on J.J. McCarthy. But Maryland covered against the spread. Zeus is now 12-4 and four on the season on his home dogs of the week. But yeah, you, sir, are sitting at a 76-52-4 against the spread on the season to my 70-58-4 six-game lead. So... Winning 50, 57, almost 58% of your of your games this year. Uh keep up the good work, sir. Just just they just the the listener just can't trust you when you're talking Tennessee. Who know who knows what you're really thinking when you're talking Tennessee? But uh other than that, you're killing it against the spread. Well, there you go. Matt Green, always a pleasure. I'll talk to you very soon. Yes, sir. All right, hello. Welcome back to another episode of uh, Tennessee Sports Guys, where I am not one, but two, but three Tennessee Sports Guys. No Ethan Stone this week, but we've still got a full deck here of Tennessee Volunteer Sports Guys, where we're just joyous to talk about what happened uh, inside Neyland Stadium yesterday afternoon, the final time you will see the Tennessee Volunteers on CBS forever. That ship has sailed, and I wasn't even there uh, on my couch to to hear the final send-off because I was inside Neyland Stadium, which uh, we might get to a uh, little bit in the show. But Rocky Top Insiders, Ryan Shepard is here. Ryan, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. I, I was having a little bit of nostalgia last week about it being the last ever CBS game. I mean, I think it was, it was starting to hit me. And then, like, I don't know, I guess it would have been, like, midway through the first quarter to the end of the first quarter. There were like multiple times where Tennessee went three and out in 45 seconds and they went, went to a commercial. I was like, oh my gosh, this is miserable. Get no more CBS, no more CBS. Uh, so I'll miss the music. I'll uh, certainly have the nostalgia, but I will not be missing the, the four and a half hour CBS games with just ridiculous numbers of commercials. 
No, and also if you weren't in there in attendance, you you didn't get to see one of the weirdest uh, two minutes of my life, which was Dolly Parton coming out uh, at the end of the first quarter in my area because we were. Uh, I, I like sitting behind the end zone. I don't know if y'all are like that instead of the fifty because I can see a lot of what Tennessee and, and specifically yesterday Georgia were running and seeing who's open, who's not, seeing how blocks are. Like, it's just a better vantage point, I feel like. I feel like I'm watching the All-22 when I'm in the end zone because there's not really any bad seats on that side. So I, I don't know. I enjoy that more um, in terms of uh, the football viewing experience. But, man, when I tell you, I don't know how it came off in the press box yesterday, but it was weird. Like, we were all looking around, and my wife, who's a big Dolly fan, and there were some Dolly super fans around us, and everyone's just like, oh, it's going to get fixed. And then it's like 10 seconds. I was like, oh, it's not going to get fixed. And Dolly's still talking to the crowd. When <laughs> I don't know if she thought that they could hear her. But when I tell you, that was one of the weirdest two minutes uh, I've ever experienced at a sporting event. Like, I, that was, I, I don't know if that'll be taught for a long time. That was so weird. Everyone was just looking around like, what just happened? What was that? I, was, uh, I wasn't near Ryan, so he may have a little bit of different experience, but I was in, up in the second row next to Ryan Callahan mm. and uh, Rob Lewis. And there was like, we, everyone knew something bad was going on. And everyone's <laughs> watching intently because, mm. you know, it's Dolly Park. But no one's saying anything on my row. And I break mm. the silence and like, I, I probably said it too loud. But I was like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> like, That's exactly what I said. And I'm like, and I wasn't videoing it. I just wasn't. And everyone was. So I'm like sitting there and like I'm twinning, you know, and I'm like, what the hell is going on? <laughs> that sums it up because it was a it was a train wreck, and it wasn't. I don't think it was Dolly's fault or anything, but yeah, no, not, no bueno, no bueno. Yeah, no, it, Jack hits <laughs> nail on the head. I I physically got up and my seat is on the aisle of the first mm. row, and I got up and I just walked up to the common area of the press box because I I couldn't watch it anymore. It was <laughs> too awkward. It's making me cringe too much, and like you know. I, I just didn't even do anything up there. Like I didn't, wasn't hungry, didn't need a drink, didn't need to use the bathroom. I just went up there and stood up there for like 35 seconds until I got assurances that it was over and I walked back down to my seat. I, I, I literally couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. It was one of the weirdest things. And let me tell y'all, like in the stadium and like around a bunch of fans, it was even weirder because everyone's looking around just really uncomfortable. They're like, do we cheer? Do we, what do we do here? Does uh, like what it was just so uncomfortable. It was like, what was the point of any of that? Because they hustled out like they got they deserve a lot of respect for getting the stage set up that quick. Like they were moving. This is not a halftime thing. This is a quarter break. And they're moving that equipment out and getting the stage set for her. And you get Peyton escorting her out. And you're like, oh, this is cool. This is going to be great. And like then you're starting. It started off where Sam and I looked at each other and we're like, she's just doing Rocky Top. What? Like that, that's what she's coming out for. She's I mean, doing a little bit of a song or like something like that. She's yeah. just, um, all right, we don't really need that, but all right, go, let's see how it goes. And then it just trails off. And then you're like, Oh no. And then you can kind of still hear her voice. And you're like, did they cut her mic? So everyone kept asking, did they cut her mic? And that was one of those, uh, an all timer. And then had the awkward walk off and the wave and everything. <laughs> you're just like, that was a fever dream. You're like, what, what just happened? That was the, one of the weirdest things. Good idea. Just uh, all time. I don't know who to blame for that, but just uh, maybe don't do that one again. Maybe maybe don't do that one again. I said after it was over, I set the halftime over under or line at Georgia minus 16 and a half. So it was a big field goal for Tennessee in mm-hmm. the first half. Um, they covered my post Dolly Parton performance live line. But I was that in the first play of the game were about all that went well for the Vols yesterday. 
Well, let me say, because I was on the end zone where Jalen ran into uh, yesterday. And when I tell you, it's never been that loud for any game I've been to in person in the last three years. Like, that was one of the ones where, like, I almost, like, fell down the rows. Because, like, I, I almost just, like, fell over because I just did. I couldn't believe what I was Because, like, that's one of my favorite things about the the end zone seating is once he got to that second level and I saw it and like the amount of speed, like Jalen just took off and he had a second gear where you're like, Oh, it's over. And like, you just fall over. You're like, Oh my God, there's no way this man is getting tackled at any point in this, uh, in this run. You just kind of see it clear. And just like, I've just never seen it that loud. Uh, I've ever heard it that loud. I should say, because everyone just went apoplectic, uh, in that moment. And then of course, um, it's all, uh, went away very, very quickly, but I'll always have that moment, which is still, the loudest uh and honestly coolest start to any tennessee game i've ever been to yeah it was a great start for tennessee i'm curious your thoughts as a fan in the stands like just to how the game was going to go after right scored where you're like oh tennessee's winning or oh this is going to be uh down to the wire or oh that was fun but let's see well, I went to my uh, trusted uh, cell phone because we have reception now uh, yeah, yeah. in Neyland with the which is also to their credit. If we're going to uh, uh, ding them for the Dolly Parton uh, issue, they deserve credit for how good the Wi-Fi has been, because that was not something I anticipated. I thought this was like, a, all right, you say that, but 100,000 people in here. I just I have my doubts that this is going to be strong enough. No, it's great. Like you can send text, pictures, all kinds of stuff. Like it was actually, it's been a huge success. So they deserve credit for for pulling that off uh, because I think that's a, a big a big deal for them. But man, I was sending texts of like, <laughs> I can't repeat some of these words in this very program. But to Georgia <laughs> fans in my life and people back home and family members back home, um, of just hey, first quarter. It, it, um, I think I said like feeling like uh two years ago, um, where uh, Tennessee remember they have the opening drive and they have the big uh pass interference on Keely Ringo and then the perfect pass to Vilas Jones out of the backfield where he just sneaks out on the right hand side and dives in the end zone. They're up seven nothing and you're like great because I bet somebody uh Tennessee would be up at the first quarter and it was just like no I felt pretty good that Tennessee was I didn't think they were gonna still probably gonna win but I did feel pretty good that like hey Tennessee could be up a little bit for a while and make Georgia really work for this. I didn't anticipate how bad and how deflating. Like that was such a demoralizing game, especially at home because we haven't seen that at home from a Josh Heupel team. Like that was the first instance where a home team or a home game for Josh Heupel and this Tennessee team looked completely out, just out of sorts, like all over the place. Like I've never seen them at home struggle that much and you could see hypo post game like he's this is a man who is ready to close the book on this season like that was my main takeaway from that press conference where i'm like there is not a man a coach in america right now that wants to end this season and flush everything he's seen on tape offensively quicker than josh hypo has because this has been unprecedented like people have talked about the numbers like where he's going to end at scoring points per game versus anywhere else he's been as a coach a college coach like he's gonna he's not gonna pass it unless Vanderbilt really opens the floodgates for this offense next Saturday and allows Tennessee to drop 77 like Butch Jones uh did over the weekend I have my doubts that he's gonna get out of that funk but I mean there was just no chance and that's the reason like I left in the middle of the third quarter y'all is I just looked at it like there was one there was another bad uh, overthrow to squirrel, I think, in the corner where squirrel was open and we saw it open and I just not even close. But I looked at Sam like he's not hitting this. <laughs> it was just it was so frustrating when you're just like, there's nothing we can do. Georgia sitting in zone. 
Tennessee is not running the football on first down with Jalen Wright anymore. Uh, Dylan Sampson's, uh, I mean, vision. I There was one run where he just, <laughs> like, again, on my side where I'm like, why would you make that cut? I just don't understand, like, what, what happened there. And you're just like, I, third and seven, I would look at the, Sam, and be like, they're getting this. Third and six, they're getting this. Third and nine, they're getting this. Like, none of them were third and short. Like, Tennessee was keeping them in, in check for most of the game. And it was just like, nope, they're going to get to third and seven, and they're going to convert it, and then they're going to convert it, and then they're going to convert it, and then you're going three and out, and then they're going to convert it. And it was just like this never-ending just skull bashing that I can't I, – I just – I hate it. I was losing my mind. Like, it was that just – That was word. Like, you just knew what was happening. You know what I mean? Like, I've never seen a script play out where you knew every drive how it was going to go for both sides, and that was demoralizing. 100%. And I think, like – the numbers and obviously everything you said about third downs is true, but like none of it was surprising. Like that yeah. you going into the game, you knew Tennessee was going to be in bad shape there. Like a 50% third down conversion would have been felt like a huge win for Tennessee in this game. Yeah. And, and obviously they didn't even get close to it, but just the way that Georgia can stay out of third and long pass protects it protects well. And then they have the type of players that, you know, one Tennessee is secondary isn't great as a whole, but you get, tight ends and stuff and matched up with linebackers and, and safeties when you're down starting safeties, you just know it's going to be bad. And I think to the stat that I've been using to further show just how bad the third down defense was nine of 13, what Georgia converted of the four that they did not convert. There was a third and 18, 11 yard completion that got Georgia in the field goal range on their first drive. There was the drop out of the, you know, first drive of the second half uh, when Delp just wide open on mesh, good throw by Beck, rolling the other way, wide open, bad defense by Tennessee, dropped. And then at the end of the game, when the backups are in the Georgia random ball, I think on like third and 12 or something like that, and didn't get it. So Tennessee truly had like one stop that wasn't either completely gifted to them or uh, a play that had its negatives, you know, as well when yeah. I'm talking about the field goal one. So it, it was, yeah, it was about as bad of a third down defense game as I've ever seen right up there with, with the old Miss one in 2021. Yeah. Jack, 24 hours removed now. What are you still thinking about? What's your still main takeaway from Tennessee, Georgia yesterday? Yeah, the main takeaway is just the gap that exists in year yeah. three of Bible with this Georgia team. And, you know, Georgia's been the best team in college football the last three years by a pretty significant margin. But you thought that this year was the year they'd be the most human maybe. Um, and they may be as good as they've been under Kirby Smart here in in the stretch. I mean, if Carson Beck's going to play like that, it, it's going to be very, very hard to mm -hmm. beat him. But especially defensively for Georgia, I think this was the year they were most gettable. And Tennessee was just unable to move the ball. I didn't think Tennessee's defense would be able to stop Georgia. They just have too much firepower offensively. But Tennessee's offense being lifeless for the second straight week. I mean, they scored 17 points in the last two weeks. I think that's the big story is just how bad the offense has become this year and the fact that they couldn't do anything against Georgia. You know, no sort of rhythm after the first play. Ryan, what about you? I think all that's accurate, especially stuff that's just kind of, you know, pounding in how bad Tennessee's offense has been because it's all very accurate. I think more than anything, I came away impressed with Georgia. Like all the, you know, again, I've said this before, like we don't get to watch a ton of college football. So, I've, you know, I've watched some Georgia this year and certainly followed their season, but it's not like I've been sitting on the couch watching them play every week, but the kind of the hunch going into this game was, I think this is maybe a team that's significantly, significantly better than they were earlier in the season. And they, the offense seems like it's going to be really good. The offense line is great again. 
I think Edwards has been better than people expected him to be. And then the pass catchers that feel really good, but they just have had the injuries all year, and it doesn't feel like they've ever had the full complement together. They're, I mean, I just think that offense is going to be really good, and Carson Beck's playing at a significantly higher level than I expected him to be uh, this season. It's certainly so much better than he looked early in the year. Um, I guess I would say I worry a little bit about Georgia's ability to rush the passer. I mean, I thought Tennessee held up pretty well in pass protection yesterday with started without their starting offensive tackles. And then obviously they lose their probably best offensive lineman uh, in the middle of the game. So, you know, I guess that would be the one worry about Georgia, but I feel like more than anything, it, it was, I came away with just, you know, how good I think this Georgia team is and that I would not only have them, I think even going into yesterday, I would have had them favored to win the national championship. I, I think after seeing them in person yesterday, I would say I, I'd take them against the field. I'm still not there. It's just unprecedented. We haven't seen this since like 1932 Minnesota. And yeah. until they do it, I'm picking against them. Like, and it's not anything against Georgia. Like, every, like you said, everything we've seen and what we saw yesterday was like, oh, they're the best team in the country. But they still might have to beat Michigan and Ohio State back to back in the playoff. And they, in Al- they might have to, a run where they go Alabama, Michigan, Ohio State. We got to address that. How? How would that ever happen? Well, what do you mean? If Michigan, whoever loses the Michigan Ohio State game, they're not out of the playoff. Like, I don't you think. Know. Yes, they are, in fact. Because Florida not, State's gone now, right? Like, Florida State's out. They've lost their quarterback. They have to lose to Louisville. I don't know if that's just a They guarantee. might lose to Florida on the road. I'm telling you, like, you don't know with the backup quarterback now. It's possible. I know. I know. How, how but typical that, is it going to be when Georgia gets Florida State in the first round without Jordan Travis? Oh, my goodness. But I'm oh just saying, goodness. Florida State has to lose. Texas yeah, has right. to lose. Oregon's getting in over the loser of the game. Um. As are a you sure if they be watching okay of course is getting it they're not losing to yeah. wazoo next week there's no way well hold on and that's only two though we're looking at oregon and georgia are two locks in this scenario and then uh, the winner and of the big the 10 other, title game and then you got texas, texas well i mean texas and florida texas state losing is not a big thing to me that's texas not a big thing florida state to lose that's a haul to me i don't think it's a haul texas i mean they're okay i think texas they're banged up you lose jonathan brooks for the year their defense looked really good yesterday against iowa state but like would you be surprised if they lost to kansas state or oklahoma state in this big 12 title game and florida state lost to florida like would that really surprise you yes okay i don't know i just i don't know i i don't i've seen this story too many times like ohio state and michigan are going to finish with one loss apiece and it just takes a little bit of chaos for them to get split up in the uh cfp it's happened, final it's happened one time what do you mean you've seen it i mean so we just many... saw it yeah we just that uh, was also... the one time that it has happened and they're the exact same of a year ago they're in the exact same spot it's more standing in their way though you talk about the similarities between tennessee losing to south carolina with yeah. their quarterback getting injured and jordan travis like that's you know that was one team that yeah. last year would have been I mean, that just sucks team. man like what would you even do as a florida state fan like you finally break through and then that kind of devastating it i mean i don't know tate roadmaker looked okay uh but like that's just such a demoralizing yeah, that's very sad yeah it's it's extremely sad especially how it happened too like yeah. that kind of injury i mean and you know that's like that a year-long injury it looked like that's like one of those brew mccoy type deals and he had it late in the year that i just i don't know i just hate it for him um I don't know. And then I think the other thing too, y'all, when we're talking about this 24 hours and what I'm still thinking about is I'm glad you talked about the offense, Jack, because look, Will Brooks should not be playing like 70 snaps uh, on your defense in year three in the SEC. Like it's not a Brooks problem. And he wasn't even the worst graded defender. And we were texting about it where it's like, look, Brooks was getting targeted a lot. So the reason his name was popping up was because uh, Carson Beck saw 
Brooks in that spot, and uh, they were they were finding Brooks in those uh, a lot of those outs and making him uh, stretch the field and run and make some tackles and stuff. Brooks was not the problem. The problem is that you had to rely on Will Brooks in that situation against Georgia, and the biggest game of the year for your team, um, and that you're that thin. And part of it's not your fault. Like injury luck is injury luck, but like Christian Charles going out early in the year, he's been injury prone to this point. Andre Turrentine had not gotten a lot of reps, and that was an issue. It's like Andre Turrentine. I mean, mm-hmm. look, he's been your backup, but like, and then he's thrown in because Wesley Walker can't go. And it's like, oh, hopefully he's okay. But he was one of the worst graded uh, safeties and worst graded players on defense for Tennessee. All right. I think you tweeted this out. All the starters who were out, their replacements were the worst graded uh, balls on PFF. And that's not a coincidence. And part of it, though, is that when you're not playing in any of these young guys and you're not developing really any of these young guys, like James Pierce popped this year. Um, that's a win for Ronnie Garner, but like no one's ever worried about Ronnie Garner developing defensive line. Like the three of us have never worried about how Tennessee would do over a five-year stretch with talent acquisition, development, that sort of thing on the defensive line. Like Byron Young, huge win. Juco kid took him in and he was awesome. And he was a huge success story. Going to play in the NFL for a while. Like awesome story. Taylor, uh, Taylor Barron probably will. James Pierce is well on his way. Like you have a lot of wins there where you don't to this point is that linebacker where you don't at this point is because Jeremy Banks has been your best linebacker. And that was not a Brian John Marie guy. That was a Jeremy Pruitt guy and a super talented kid who came in as a running back, I think. And they developed pretty well, but Banks was missed uh, a lot this year, I think. And then you look at it. I just, they don't have dudes. Like it's just whatever it's hypos often. Like it's just where we've been. Like we've seen that for three years, but when you are an offensive guru and when you have like, the way people have talked about Tennessee and the injuries, I'm like, I mean, the offensive line wasn't really the problem yesterday. It wasn't like Joe is getting his brains beat in the last two weeks. It's not like Joe is in a situation where, look, y'all, what can we do? It's like, no, the offensive line was fine. Like, even with Mincy and Campbell out, I wasn't sitting there going, wow, this is, oh, what What can Joe do? And then you look at the receivers. I understand losing Dante Thornton for the year was bad. Uh, and bad luck when he was starting to break through on the outside. Losing Brew was devastating for this wide receiver crew. I get that. But, like, Squirrel's a super talented guy. Ramel Keaton was the lowest-graded Tennessee uh, player on offense yesterday. Ramel Keaton has been just not good all year long. You've gotten absolutely nothing. And we went into the year of, like, the connection between Ramel and Joe was, like, something you looked at. And you're like, great, they worked together in the second team. Like, this should flourish. It's not like they're missing talent. These are four-star kids. These are kids who are super talented out wide. By and large, Jacob Warren really hasn't done anything. McAllen Castles was a non-factor, and he was a big portal ad yesterday. I mean, not utilizing Jalen Wright to any extent, really, after the opening drive. That was weird. Um, I don't know. I think, to me, what sticks with me is, like, he shouldn't get a pass. Like, someone has to take the fall here. Like, someone, like this is an unbelievable drop-off. And there's a lot of vets on this offense. And you're supposed to be an offense. Like, it looks like Boston College early in the year this year. Like, it is rough. And there is a level where it's like, yeah, there's we expected a drop-off from Hooker. This is now one of the worst offenses in the SEC. Like, it's one of the most unwatchable brands of football. This is one of the most pathetic offensive brands of football. They can't do anything. It's three and out city. And this was my big concern coming into the year. Remember, I was getting killed for this, where I was like, all they did was run all over Vanderbilt. Like, that's all that was. That was just Dylan Sampson and Jalen Wright doing whatever they wanted. No takeaways there. Then the Clemson game, there were a bunch of three and outs. Like Joe had a bunch of three and outs in that game, but he still had a couple big plays to Ramel Keaton and Squirrel White. We were like, okay, that's still there. We're going to be fine. I was like, I don't know. It was definitely not as 
efficient and definitely a little clunky there. And we're going to remember some of that pocket stuff with Joe uh, going in the year. I'm not convinced he's the guy. But, like, it's okay to just say this at this point. That was a mistake. Like, I understand you, the locker room dynamic and all of that. But this whole year has just been an offensive disaster. And everyone's been focused on the defense. And I get that. But you look at the talent, like they're just, they don't even have anywhere close to the pieces to be one of the best defenses over a full calendar stretch in the SEC um, with where they're at on that side of the ball. But on offense, it should never, ever be at what we're looking at this year and what we've been looking at the last two weeks. And if you're not really concerned that like we just burned a whole year with that, and I understand eight and four, hey, all things considered, it could be worse. You could lose to New Mexico State by 21 at home. Like that could be. Uh, a situation for you but I think it's more than fair to be like yeah you're really upset like the hypo press conference and listening to him he's like he's just really frustrated with everything that's going on but like it should never have gotten this bad I think it's fair to say like something has to change fundamentally like how you attack the portal how you attack um, this group how you attack uh, getting young players in the field sooner so that they're more ready uh, when injuries do start to pile up I don't know what it is but it should never be this bad and this pathetic where you look at any third down, you're like, Tennessee's not converting this. Like, what, what, what did they get two third down conversions yesterday? Was that all it was, I think? Hold on, I can figure it out very quickly. Two of 11. I think it was two. Yeah, two of 11. Yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> what are you doing? Like, it, I, I don't know. I'm just, I'm out of words. Like, this whole offense no. has just been unbelievable in SEC play. Yeah, I think, uh, in this sounds like a simple take, but. It is on Hypel that he should have been able to recognize that it wasn't going to get better and yep. that it just wasn't working and just become a, like just run the ball mm-hmm. all the time and use all three backs and use them wisely. Like he he should be using those three just so much and it does make them a little bit more predictable. But so what? Those are your best players and uh, you can't trust Joe to run your offense. So I think they should have leaned on the run a lot more than they have this year and that. Yeah, Tennessee was still probably not winning 10 games or anything, but they look a lot better. They're probably making these games closer, at least the last couple weeks. And, you know, I don't know. I just feel like he should have committed to the run more specifically, Jalen Wright, this year. I would fight back on some of the philosophical stuff you said, like the the portal one especially. Didn't really like to me. That's the issue with defense is that they d- didn't hit the portal hard and they don't have any depth and they haven't been able to develop these young guys that you're banking on for the depth because you didn't hit the portal hard offensively. You know, I just think it more or less boils down to a really, you know, a bad decision to quarterback that you mm. put all your eggs into the Joe Milton basket and you didn't go out and bring somebody in in the portal and you were unwilling to play the freshman. And you know, look, I don't. I am not one of those people who thinks it's just as cut and dry that Nico would have just been significantly better. And he's a five-star. He was on campus since January. You should have him better, like, ideally. But I don't think that's cut and dry. There's, like, one freshman quarterback that's played consistently in Power 5 this year, and he wasn't particularly good. I mean, he had his moments, but he also had a lot of growing pains. But for you to not be willing to go to Nico at all and to not have gone into the portal – and I get it would have been a hard sell in the portal, but – the job was just handed to Joe because he played well in the Orange Bowl and he was a good teammate. I mean, essentially, and obviously they didn't give up on him. The other thing I would say, the, the receivers are really bad. I mean, the receivers, really bad, it's a little bit dramatic, but the receivers are are a real problem too. And it's not just 
Joe, I would fight back against your claim that the talent is there at receiver. I think you have a lot of number threes in Squirrel White, who I think is really good, but I don't think can be a number one in his size of the slot, at least not at this point in his career. And it was just completely missing of a number one. And the injuries are tough there. And that's where I'm prone to give them a pass for the injuries a lot more on defense than I am on offense. The injuries on offense, Chase is right. I agree with your philosophical point about getting the younger guys more experienced that are ready to step up. They're we're pl- bountiful opportunities to do that with the receivers, and they have not done it. And but so I, I'm not really willing to give them a huge pass when you look at that and the fact that Ru McCoy and Dante Thornton weren't all that productive when they were out there. I mean, Dante Thornton didn't do anything for two months. So it's not like these are just cat didn't lose. Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman. They lost yeah. a very solid receiver in Brew McCoy and a Dante the piece in Dante Thornton is clearly talented, but was not, you know, far, far from consistent. So uh, that's some rambling thoughts, kind of what you said, Chase. But I do think a lot of the offensive issues just boil down to a really bad decision at quarterback uh, or a really bad management of the quarterback position and just the fact that there is a little bit of lacking talent at receiver. Yeah, and I mean, you think about it, I mean, Heupel invested three years into this project. I mean, Heupel started him out of the gate over Hendon Hooker. That didn't go well. That should have been enough when we saw that. And I, I get it's not about Joe personally. Like, you all like Joe. Like, he's, it has nothing to do with that. But this is three years. Like, this was not one of those. This is a six-year senior. This should have been a plug-and-play. Like, if you were that, like, it was a huge gamble and be based on what you saw two years prior and you're betting on the development you're betting on him being around Hinden hooker for a full year you're betting on those things paying dividends and they just didn't like they didn't pay dividends and not even just that like i think he's right now i think he's regressed so far i mean when you think about let's include texas and oklahoma in this who is the only is there a quarterback that you would take joe over in the sec right now we did this like two weeks ago. Yeah, Peyton but Thorne. to Chase's defense, yeah. I mean, the last two weeks have been horrific. So. Yeah, yeah. That's... but I'm saying Fair right on. now, Fair the way you what you've seen from Joe Milton the last two weeks. Yeah, I'll is... still take him over the Peyton Thorne. That's okay. That honestly made. I mean, I don't watch a lot of Vanderbilt football. I can't really. I mean, AJ Swan was better. Like early AJ Swan, I've seen better stuff out of AJ Swan. I've at least seen AJ you Swan do stuff. You are a perennial overhyper of Vanderbilt, I will say, Chase. <laughs> I'm not going to go. They're going to beat Vanderbilt I didn't even realize until today that they, Vanderbilt hasn't won a game since September 2nd. Yeah. They were 3-0, right? Or 2-0? 2-0, I think, yeah. 2-0, because they had mm-hmm. the week zero game. Yeah. In, Hawaii? I mean. Yeah, Hawaii, and then Alabama and them. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't, again, I don't watch... I've watched so little of AJ Swan this year. I don't feel educated. Oh, to make you got a, a whole a week for it. That's what the vacation's better. for, Ryan Schemper. That's what the holiday <laughs> week is for, is grinding that AJ Swan tape. I can send you some. He's, I think he played Woodstock High School back in the day, back in Georgia. So if you want some <laughs> some high school tape, I can I can find it somewhere. NFHHS Network. I'll find some stuff. I'll send it your way. Appreciate that. <laughs> I watched I watched Hawaii, and I think I watched the first quarter against Georgia. That's yeah. probably all the Vanderbilt football I've watched. Yeah. But think about it. Like, isn't it crazy that we're covered? Yeah. Well, there you go. They're one in ten against the spread. (laughs) Good for them against Georgia, though. Yeah. Um. You know who didn't? Uh, the Tennessee Volunteers. Um. That I mean, that was another one. Like, I just if you had told me Tennessee gets blown out and embarrassed at home in this environment and everything else, I would have still. 
uh, not taking it. But I will tell you, when I'm over there in uh, K-Brew, uh, getting my almond milk latte for the weekend, and I just see the up- injury report update, like, I, I, I just... It was almost like the the spit incident in Seinfeld where I felt like I got uh, spit in the face. Like, I, I almost just, like, fell over when you just see Wesley Walker's out and uh, yeah. John Campbell and Gerald Mincy where I'm like, oh, no, I feel I've been bamboozled. Felt like Joe Burrow in the injury gate on Thursday where I'm like, <laughs> I bought in. I wouldn't have gone. I wouldn't have gone if I had known this was the case. Um, it, it was uh, that was the whole day. It just you just started off with that bad omen and it just never, never got better. But, you know. I'm just ready. Like I'm ready to flush it. Like I'm ready to flush the season. I'm ready to move forward. But I do think that Heupel's not on the hot seat, obviously going into next year, but I do think now there is so much pressure on Nico to be good right away to prove that it was just a Milton thing that Heupel and the offense is fine. They can get back to what they were close to with uh, an elite uh, player quarterback like Hinton Hooker was two years ago that look, that was a blip. I think he there is so much pressure on Heupel and the staff to prove that this year has been a blip and that this is not something to worry about going forward. So, I mean, things can happen and get ugly in a hurry. Like if uh, things go awry um, on the offensive line, depending on how the portal goes for Tennessee, who comes back, who doesn't. I don't know. Texas and Oklahoma are coming into this conference. Like Tennessee, I think uh, Ryan, you talked about. Tennessee is a very ago. easy schedule. Next that's year, the though. night. That's the best thing for Tennessee right now is yeah. that their schedule is not the worst i mean florida i i the, napier is not making it out of 2024 florida's schedule is i don't know jack oh, yeah. have you seen it i remember yeah oh my I gosh remember that being a big takeaway when it came out i mean just uh, napier is just in a lot of trouble there I, I just don't know what you do with that schedule you have all the you have i think ucf and miami and florida state my, and sec schedule it's just <laughs> like what yeah. miami sanford ucf Georgia, Florida State, Kentucky, LSU, Ole Miss, and Mississippi State, Tennessee, Texas. So Napier's not making it out of next year. Like get, that's the hardest Kentucky, schedule in college football next year. It's not even really close. Kentucky, Miss State are gettable. Yeah, that that's another that's probably a four win team. The best yeah. case scenario. I mean the layup uh Kentucky Miss State. Yeah. Yeah. Um Jack, how would you explain the offensive woes against Missouri? Georgia and Alabama in the second half. And do you think that was something that could have been fixed? Do you think that was something that you saw and you're like, I just don't, I don't understand why this keeps happening and why the second half has just been brutal for Tennessee offensively. Yeah, I don't have a great answer. I just think it's um, abandoning what you do well. And, you know, that's running the football and just high percentage plays. It feels like they're just trying to do too much. Uh, to try and bring the game back into balance. And when you try to do too much, it just ends up being even worse. And also the defense has been really bad in the second half of these games and hasn't allowed the offense to really be on the field much. I mean, time of possession has just been a major issue in the last couple of weeks. Granted, three and outs are a big reason of that too. But yeah, I mean, when Tennessee isn't doing anything well, it's kind of hard to decipher what would work and what wouldn't. But yeah, I, I just think it's um getting to where you're taking maybe too many chances too early in the second half, and then you just dig yourself a deeper hole. What do you think, Ryan? It's a tough one. I think it's kind of been different things in in all three games. Alabama, it just felt like you couldn't get out of your own way. You couldn't do – and I guess maybe that's the same thing in Missouri. You just couldn't get out of your own way. And I think that's almost one of the problems 
not to, you know, did it really the devalidifies Jack's point, but like for Tennessee to move the ball down the field running it, it just feels like they're inevitably going to get a holding cold and they can't you know, overcome in there. It, no, it's just the, there isn't, there still hasn't been a ton of real explosive plays in the run game. Um, and that's, I think, what happened in Missouri and, and to a degree at Alabama yesterday. I think it's as simple as Georgia's just a lot, lot better than Tennessee. And I mean, it's what I'd said, you know, all, all week about there was very little about the on-field matchup that I liked for Tennessee. Like, my optimism in Tennessee was, you know, I mean, Jack probably heard me say this line 25 times last week. They don't have all those tall buildings in Las Vegas for nothing. Well, apparently they do have all those tall buildings in Las Vegas for nothing because they lost a lot of money uh, on Tennessee, Georgia yesterday. But, you know, t- Tennessee can't throw the football really against anybody. Georgia's corners are still very good. Tennessee, they're going to play man-to-man. Tennessee does not have a lot of guys that can beat man-on-man consistently, and they don't have a quarterback that can get them the ball accurately. Tennessee, while Georgia's been more vulnerable against running teams this year, it's been a lot of perimeter runs, and Tennessee does not run the ball at the perimeter. I mean, it's all between the tackles running for Tennessee. Spread everybody out with the receivers and run it right out. And Georgia, even though they're not amazing in the front seven like they've been, they're still really good at defending inside run plays. So uh, it just you know, from that aspect of it, I just think it was a bad matchup for Tennessee and Georgia was a lot better. You know, I do wonder how much of it Tennessee's been good on the scripted drives and the scripted stuff early in the game. Still, is it just when you get away from that and this team's just, we've talked about it from, I mean, literally the Austin P game. They're so limited in what they can do offensively. Once you have to get further and further away from the script, I think it just becomes harder for them. And I think probably to Jack's point, they're reaching a little bit and trying to do a little too much to, to get it all back at once. We'll never know, but got to tell you, it's uh, probably it for the rest of the year. Cause I think they'll be fine with Vanderbilt uh, um, is my guess on Saturday. And then the bowl game against, I mean, whoever it is, yeah. I guess it also just depends on who's going to be a quarterback in the bowl game. What is, yeah. what is y'all's gut on that? Can you imagine a Joe Milton led Tennessee team still in the bowl game against a big 10 West school? I won't. No, no, I can't. <laughs> I won't. Nightmares. I like, mean, Eric, like Eric, <laughs> it's an air contract. Nightmare, nightmare, nightmare. <laughs> I mean, who's the worst case scenario bowl game? But what's the what's the like all time like Ryan and Jack are just like begging Rocky Top Center and always college football. Like we're not, I'm not going. You can't make me. And they're just like dragging you to McGee Tyson. Like what's the worst possible Tennessee bowl matchup location and opponent for you guys? Tennessee bowl location. Okay. Um. Because at least if I'm gonna watch some bad football, I don't I wanna be somewhere that's like Jacksonville or even Charlotte. I've never been to Charlotte. So okay. Nashville would just be, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then a big I mean, it feels like it's gonna be a Big Ten school, but something and it's not gonna be Iowa because the record's gonna be too good. Yeah. But you know, something like Minnesota feels like a very much yeah, in the that cards. One, that bad. I don't yeah. know if you've watched Minnesota's offense, folks. Yeah, that's a great one. Um, I think Northwestern and Rutgers would probably make it a little more interesting, oh. but Minnesota would be um it's all bad it's all the greg shiano bowl might not be allowed there's no way they allow that would, i'm sure tennessee fans now. would have a normal time with greg shiano and Rutgers that would be tennessee. i guess it would be good for content but it would be insufferable to put up with for a month on mm-hmm. elon musk twitter i will say my my mindset's so much different than jack's on which bowl game i would i mean don't get me wrong the music city bowl would be so lame and going to nissan stadium <laughs> would be lame but and again i'm from nashville so it's a little bit different but the ability to be able to roll out of bed and drive 30 minutes to nissan stadium and cover the game instead of traveling to jacksonville would so much rather do that i do think they're almost locked into the gator bowl now to me at least wait are they really 
Is it is Grant it... Shumper, resident TV and bowl game expert, sent me to breakdown today. You're going to have Georgia, Alabama, Missouri in some version of the playoff in New Year's Six, mm. which is going to leave Ole Miss to go to the Citrus Bowl. LSU probably in the Outback Bowl. Maybe Tennessee could sneak in there. I would still think it would be LSU Outback Bowl. And then no one else besides maybe Kentucky's even going to win seven games. Everybody else in the SEC that makes the bowl is going to be six and six. So I don't think there's going to be any logical argument for any of those teams to get into the Gator Bowl besides Tennessee. Maybe if Kentucky gets seven wins, but I, I would think the Gator Bowl would much rather have Tennessee than Kentucky. Well, Kentucky's got Louisville this week, so I, I don't think yeah. they're getting to seven. There's no, I said there's no far from a given that they're even going to get seven wins, but no yeah. one else is even capable of giving them seven wins. I guess unless Auburn upsets Alabama or something. Um, goodness How about gracious! By the way, losing to South Carolina. I know. That's true. That was a nasty game. Uh, Ryan, PFF grade that felt the most right and felt the most wrong from Saturday. Oh man, you you! I was going to use my my tweet that I had the stat as my talking point in here, but you were too nice to bring it up earlier. Sorry, I, I, mean, I, I keep I, up with my friends online. <laughs> I, I apologize, Ryan. I guess I'll, I'll say the one that I don't know. Most of most everything on the defensive side of the ball made sense. I didn't notice Andre Turrentine playing as bad. I guess I'll say that's what surprised mm, that's, me. That I didn't think my... Andre Turrentine was was great, but I did not. He did not stand out as being horrible to me. Um, a number of them, I you know, I thought made sense in how they graded out. You know, I guess I'll use this time to just say, and it was touched on a little bit earlier, but Jalen Wright had a good grade. I don't understand how he only gets the ball nine times. I mean, that goes back to Jack and them trying to do too much. He's your best offensive player. And I know it wasn't all great in those eight touches he had after the first play of the game, but he's your best offensive player and you're a bad offense and he touched the ball nine times. That's a problem. In the rotation, it's I haven't had as big of a problem with it as I think some people have, but it was too over the top yesterday, especially in a game where it just felt like they had so few plays that it got run up on them, essentially. But when you look back on it, that's really bad. And I will say, just a big-picture note, how brutal is it for Tennessee, all the injuries they've had this year? You almost always have a running back get hurt in the season. And they, like, almost needed, obviously not the right word, but it would have just, like, fixed rotation problems for them if one of the running backs had gotten hurt at some point this season. And they've all been basically completely healthy all season while your offensive line and receivers – just crumble with injuries uh, as well as you know you're back into your defense well i don't ever wish injury I mean, you wanted a like a Tion evans type situation where they just disappear uh in the last <laughs> couple weeks and then they're said they pop up at their next school right after that's really what you needed and um yeah i mean the but also it shouldn't be this complicated like it really shouldn't like you you saw the opening play from jalen Wright. like i don't know what else you have to see to be like oh that's clearly our best offensive player like we have to give him 20 touches we have to that make guy. yeah <laughs> Like feed that guy. Like what else are we doing? Like right. if yeah. I'm gonna throw it, if I'm gonna throw the ball at the line of scrimmage on third and three on the second drive, which it's really important to keep momentum for zero yard game, I'd rather run it with Jalen Wright on third and three. Like if yeah. that's gonna be what you do. Or yeah. run the option. Like we saw the success. Like Milton yeah. and like whatever. If he fumbles it away or anything else like that, like whatever. But like Joe Milton not running it all the last two weeks, I don't know if that's injury related or what, but like Milton not being mobile at all again, I mean, just what are we doing? I thought we turned the corner with this. Like you saw that helped this offense get going a lot more. Joe Milton seemed to play better when he uh, got contact early on, when he lowered his shoulder and when he just kind of got his head in the game more. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know why that went away too. 
I don't know if anyone's asked Hypo like why Milton does not run with the football anymore. I mean, they just don't have the ball. I, yeah. I think it's hard to notice it when Tennessee's running so little amounts of plays and has the ball so little amounts of time. I mean, was this like when we when we think back to it, is this the is this a tipping point or do you think a blip in the hypo era in terms well, of like we'll look at this and we'll go, this is when we knew that this was just not gonna this was not gonna work long time, uh, long term, or do you think we look back at this year, two years from now and go, this is a blip, it was a gap year, they still found a way to get eight and four, and hey, they're better for it. They didn't lose the locker room, they made it through. And now Halsey's more experienced, Ablin's more experienced, and things are a lot better and a lot smoother and there's more depth. Which way do you lean on that? Well, I think defensively, you you look at three years of it kind of being the same old song and dance, and injuries have plagued the secondary pretty much every season. But that, to me, feels like it just might be a thing, is the defense being the way that it is, unless recruiting changes. And and give Heupel's a little bit of a break. I mean, his guys that he's recruited are still very young. but offensively, I do think it could be a blip if Nico's who is as advertised. I mean, quarterbacks change so much in college football, and Joe Milton is just worse than I certainly thought. And I think most thought he would be this year. Um, and just it'll be a transition year. I, that would be my answer. If I had to you know, put everything on it, I'd say this is just a, a transition year into the next quarterback, and the eight and four is not what the norm will be. Do you share that sentiment, Ryan? Well, I'll, I'll sh- hit it directly on the offense. It's literally just a question of Nico. Like, it, I'm, it really is. I, I think the offense is not foundationally broken. I think there's flaws with it, but I think we've known that even the last two years. When the offense was really good, that there were flaws with it. Uh, I think it's been more about personnel and quarterback play, but all the eggs are in the Nico basket. Like, the, what's, is, there any, is there literally any scenario next year where Nico could play bad enough that he would not be the starting quarterback in 2025. I don't, I don't really think it is. I mean, I mean he could always transfer. Some... It could be a DJU situation. Like what we saw at Clemson, like that's always possible. But even that was two years. Yeah. Yeah. But that that's was true. two years. And he's, that family's not going to walk away from the NIL. If he's still the starting quarterback. Yeah. Him transferring to me never becomes a reality until he gets benched. And Tennessee's not going to do that after the 2024 season, in my opinion. So, you know, I lean towards thinking Nico will be good, at least good enough to show that this offense can be pretty easily a top 25 one when there's competent, you know, quarterback play and talent on that off on that side of the ball. But I don't think it's any sure thing. Again, I, you know, like I said, I think it largely comes down to, to what Nico will be. I think you have to shake up the staff a little bit. I think you have to show that certain results just can't stand. I think, I don't know how many, maybe that's just William Martinez and you have an in-house replacement, but you do have to shake up the staff a little bit. I think you have to show that like, look, there's a lot of blame to go around, but we have to, like there has to be adjustments. There have to be like how you attack at the portal. Like that has to look different. I think you have to show that you can get the big time tackles. So Jordan Seaton, I think is a gigantic deal this off season. Bennett Warren, good get, good four-star offensive tackle. We'll see if he's a starter right away. I think you have to prove that you can win some of these other big fights. Like Mike Matthews, I was talking to Rusty Manziel of Dogs HQ a couple days ago. Raved about the kid. Like, really special kid. And he's just, like, a freak out there. And he went to my high school uh, back in Georgia. And, I mean, he he anticipated that he would play as a freshman. Like, he should be, like, in the Like, no matter how hard the learning curve is at receiver at this school, like, he's 
one of the all-time uh, highest ranked. I think he's the highest rated receiver Tennessee's ever brought in. Um, and look, you just have to play these guys. <laughs> and some of it, you just look at it and you're like, all right, we saw like it to your point, Ryan, just not as talented as uh, you would like the receiver room to be. Look, man, like this is why you sign five stars. This is what you do. You have to put them in. They have to start playing when you start recruiting better. And you're, you got to put these guys in the field. Like Devin Hobbs played pretty good amount this year. That was good. Jeremiah Teenlander and Arian Carter got a lot of play this year before Arian went down. Like you have to start playing these guys. You have to put Ricky Gibson out there more. You have to start putting these guys in. And if not, then I don't know. I'm just kind of worried about the development of the staff. And I'm kind of worried about where that's headed because you need to win on these tackle bodies. You need to win on the defensive line. You need to win in improving this defense and the de- the depth there. I don't know. I, I'm I'm so 50-50 on uh, whether or not this is a tipping point for the Hypolera um, and what we'll think about where things are at two years from now. Eileen Nico's going to be good, but I mean, this year, it's been bad, and I never would have thought the offense would ever be anywhere close to as ugly, as ineffective, and as out of answers as it's been the last two weeks. And I just, the lack of adjustments, the field goal kicks late in these games. Oh, man. Just oh, man. absolutely awful. I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm definitely not as all in on Hypo as I was going into this year. Maybe he just has too much loyalty to yeah. his upperclassmen. I mean, we talked about with the secondary some, just the fact that he kept trotting out, you know, Warren Burrell of the world and stuff like that. Yeah. Maybe, and that's obviously a Joe thing this year, you know, to an extent anyway. Mm. So maybe yep. that's just a trend that you can notice here in the first couple seasons that he doesn't really play young guys. Yeah. I mean, Shane Muberoff, he was a big four-star tackle, has not played, not seen the field. Like, you just need He's some He's a true the... freshman. And he was like no, what I'm saying is, like, when you have... Fringe 200 recruit. I, that's fine. But, like, that's it. That's your biggest tackle uh, recruit to this point in the high player, correct? Yeah, no, how they've recruited offensive tackle yeah. is a problem. Sham Umarov not playing is true. Well, what I'm saying is, like, that's your problem. best one, and he's not even yeah. seeing the field okay. at all. So, like, you have Alabama starting Proctor as a five-star right tackle right now. And you have, like, you just need, if you're going to make that final jump, and this is something when I'm, last thing on Bama, I'll say, or on this, like, we can wrap up here. One of the things I thought was funny coming out of this storyline-wise was, like, look, you saw the gap between Tennessee and Georgia, right? Like, that was a big conversation point. Like, you just saw the gap. Did y'all see the gap uh, in Tuscaloosa a month ago? Did y'all see the gap when Alabama has a 90% blue chip ratio of uh, players on that team? Did y'all notice a gap two year, or last year when Tennessee blasted Alabama at home offensively? Did y'all notice Dallas Turner and Will Anderson on the edge against J.J. Crawford and company? No. Like, I don't understand why that's gotten so much play as you just saw they were just outmatched and it was a Jimmy's and Joe's situation. I'm like, that's been the case for the first three years in the Hypo era. Like, they've won a lot of games where they don't have as much talent. Like, they didn't put up a fight. So I think I understand that Georgia has more talent, but that is not an excuse for how terrible they looked offensively. And Tennessee showed that they can match up, and they should have won in Tuscaloosa. There was a, a path to victory in that second half. You're up two touchdowns going in the half. With Bama has more talent than Georgia just on blue chippers alone. Like, that is a fact. And that was never something we were worried about in that game. You didn't notice it when watching that game in the first half. So I just think that got way overblown. And it's such a cop-out because that is not something we talked about at all against Bama. And it's something we talked about a bunch coming out of Georgia. And I just I don't think the rosters are that different between Georgia and Alabama. Tennessee well, just it's... has some X factors. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. 
Yeah, I mean, quarterback quarterback plays the equalizer to talent in Tennessee. Joe Milton played good in the first half against Alabama. Mm-hmm. So that's why it didn't look crazy, and they schemed up some good things. And obviously the defense put them in favorable positions multiple times mm-hmm. too, which didn't hurt. Um, so that's the reason, you know, you talk about the talent. Well, the talent shows up when you don't have a quarterback. And that's the whole Josh Heupel thing is that he's supposed to put not only be good at developing quarterbacks, but put them in a position where they can be better, look better than they really are. And yep. in a success position to be successful. And that's Tennessee's equalizer. That's why when Hendon Hooker was so good last year, that's why they were able to compete with the best teams in the country. Um, you know, that's the talent that hasn't been there for one day. Uh, equal, even really close to equal to the Alabamas and Georgias. The quarterback's been something that pulls them at least into the realm, and it, it hasn't been this season. No. Well, I was thinking about this earlier in the podcast, just real quick. Uh, the Tennessee-Georgia game in 21, because that's mm. the second most lopsided loss at home in the Hypo era. I mean, mm. Cedric Tillman had 200 yards in that game, and he, yep. he was an X-factor that year. And you just think about this Tennessee team, there's no X-factor. Squirrel White's not – I mean, I think Jalen Wright is, just not used correctly. Mm. Um, Joe Milton is far from it. So that's just I, a big thing in college football too. That that's does fair. bring me to another thought. I mean, that's that's very accurate. It does bring me to another thought though. I do think teams are – out Tennessee's offense. I don't know if figuring mm. out is the right word, but Tennessee got a lot of easy – they got a lot of easy ones, a lot of free ones in 21. And they haven't gotten – hardly any this year and a lot of the free ones they got last year was probably a result of that but a lot most of that was just having Tennessee having good players and good scheme I guess I say to say the 21 Tennessee had a lot of touchdowns where the corner was looking at the sideline when they mm. snapped the ball that ain't happening anymore Tennessee hasn't yeah. gotten many guys wide open down the field this season and when they have Ramel keep the drop it uh, but yeah. that's uh that's kind of the other the point. I we just moved about. on from the tempo, right? Like you don't even notice the tempo anymore. Like tempo has just gone completely out the wayside. I think you do when they're clicking. But... I mean, have you though? Do, do have you noticed really? I'm any with you. Tempo? I don't think the te- the tempo. I'm surprised it hasn't been a bigger point of emphasis this year. And yeah. Jack is right. The inability to move the ball is a big part of it. I think even when they have moved it, the tempo has not been anywhere the same. And I do wonder if that's. That's something with Golish being gone. I'm like, I'm not like buying the Golish as the mastermind of the offense, or you know, they can't. That's the biggest issue they have on offense, or you know, Hypel can't be a good play caller. I do wonder if Hypel having to be the primary play caller has, in some ways, slowed down the offense or slowed down the tempo. I think that's possible because it's just he's having to do a lot more on gay days. He's having to see, and it's different being on the field versus in the box and not having yep. and having new guys that's in the box. That's the part I able- think. Yeah, Which, that would be my theory as to why. All right, guess what? You're the one who promoted from within. Yeah. You had options. Like, that's one of those where I'm like, I don't think that's a... Look, man, Golish left for a head coaching job. You could have... Golish was not a long-term hypo disciple. Like, wasn't he Iowa State years prior? Like, it was... He jumped on at UCF, I recall. UCF. Yeah. I do think fine. even if you bring someone in there, though, I don't think that changes a lot this year because... Yeah. Golish didn't call plays when Heifel hired him. So while he mm. came in, he I don't think there was really a scenario where he was going to trust someone to True. be the sole play caller in his first year running his offense. Yeah. It just would have been nice to have a vet, like whether it was yeah. Seth Luttrell, uh, who was available, Jeff Ferris, maybe. Like, I don't know. Um, promoting from within. We'll see if that works because that's what he's done only on the offensive side of the ball. And I just don't know if you're going to be able to get away with that uh, going into next year. Yeah, no, fair. Well, we'll see. It'll be a fascinating, fascinating, I say even offseason, not even really offseason, it'll be a fascinating 
December and January when yeah. coaching changes and portal changes are being made. I think everything will die down because I don't think, you know, that's the, that's the, you want to know the scary reality of your Tennessee this year is that they're a whole lot closer to six and six than they are nine and three. Yeah. I mean, they haven't they've been competitive in any of these games. I mean, Alabama game is the only one they've had a chance to win. And Florida is the only one that you look at and say they're not a significantly better team than Tennessee. Uh, mm-hmm. Whereas easily could have lost the AM game, easily could have lost the Kentucky game. Oh, yeah. If you have uh, Connor Wegman, do you really feel good about AM like that being a win? I, I don't. That was no. tough. But that that's, bad, that's the breaks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the breaks. Um, we'll leave it there, but I will be an interrupt. I think we're going to know a lot about where Tennessee's going as a football program over the next two months. I think how they attack the portal, what coaching changes they make, and who how they finish off this class recruiting-wise will be huge in determining where things are going uh, for this Tennessee football team. But thankfully, it's basketball season and, ba- and baseball season right around the corner. I mean, look, everything School HQ is back in... Back in full swing, uh, sooner rather than later, with uh, two national title contenders in back-to-back uh, sports, but uh, Tennessee football, not not even close. Uh, Jack Foster, what can they go check out from you and the team over at Always College Football this week? Yeah, just uh, the normal um, Sunday reaction show. We'll be reacting to the rankings Tuesday night. A um, little bit of a different distribution schedule with Thanksgiving and the holidays this week, of course. But uh, last week, in fact, I got to make an on-camera appearance for quite a bit on uh, the reaction show, so that was fun. But uh, yeah, just uh, the the usual. There you go. What about you, Ryan Shumpert, and the good team over there at Rocky Top Insider? Yeah, distract yourself from how bad football was with <laughs> basketball. Maui Invitational, as I mm. know friend of this program, Will Warren, uh, is saying, mm. the best early season tournament ever. Uh, unbelievable field. Tennessee is a uh, part of. They'll play games Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Um, so, yeah, lock in, and we'll have tons of content on that. And then, obviously, everything that we always do to get you ready for the opponent. But I can't imagine anybody's going to be too, too excited about Vanderbilt prep this week. So, get excited about the basketball stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's Come read just... our content. Yeah, I mean, look. Nothing like the in-state mode. battle to cap off the yeah. season. There you go. At its at its friendly home of 3.30 p.m. Eastern time on SEC Network up against the Iron Bowl, as it is every single year at Tennessee. I'm I'm not like I. It's going to be an interesting. I'm very curious to see what the turnout is. Uh, yeah, I'm very curious. You, you know well, what they could do to get. If Nico starts, it'll be big. Yeah, they're not going to do that to Joe on Senior Day, be, right? Like, there's no way you can do it. I mean, I don't see why they can't do it. I personally don't understand it, but. I don't think they're going to do it, to your point. I was having this conversation with people in the press box yesterday, and mm. they were telling me how you can't do it. I don't get why you can't do it. You can't just – I can't not start Joe on senior day, throw him out there for the first drive, hand the ball to Jalen Wright, go score a touchdown, put Nico in drive two. He started yeah. on the senior day. Yeah, just give him the first possession. I would do first they're possession, not going and then you're to done. Do if if you don't score in first possession, change it. Well, the thing That's is, the I can hand the ball off to Jalen Wright every single play on literally maybe, every single maybe drive. Maybe Hypo will a touchdown. Maybe no. Hypo will purposefully not, you know, <laughs> will sell the first drive and then be like, hey, you didn't get it done. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Like, that would almost himself. be more cruel. Oh that would gosh. be more cruel. 1,000%. <laughs> Jack Foster, Ryan Shepard, always a pleasure. And I'll talk to y'all next week. Nicely done, nephew.
Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.